Welcome back to Cooper Duper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people. This is Jess. I am Mikey. And we just finished watching Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me. Whew. Yeah, it's heavy, it's scary, it's deeply disturbing. <laughs> um, yeah. Overall, so this is probably the third or fourth time I've seen it in the last ten years or so. But you've seen it a few more times than I have. Yeah. yeah. Any... Uh, General. I mean, I the first time I saw it was I was I don't know fourteen, mm-hmm. something like that. Didn't care for it. No, oh, yeah. Um, a fourteen year old didn't see the yeah. Nuance. Well, like that's exactly it. Like I just I was not smart enough mm-hmm. or capable enough to process this. Right. Um, and it was it's so different than the show. And my thought was like I liked this show. I thought it was interesting and silly and weird and. This, this is not, not silly. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a little bit of comedy in the beginning, mm-hmm. and then it's just trauma, trauma, yeah. trauma, trauma. Like, yeah. it's exhausting. Like, it, it's relatively long. It's two hours and 15, which mm-hmm. is kind of nowadays, like, movie standard, which yeah. is wild. But it, it feels a little long, it doesn't feel obscenely long, but then when you look back, it feels like so much happens. Yeah, it really does. Like, especially when you're kind of deep into the um, the stuff with uh, Chris Isaacs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And you're like 20 minutes into it and you're sort of like, okay. Yeah, it's, it's nearly and, a half an hour yeah. before this movie starts. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a lot. And yeah, so, yeah, so that was my initial take. I have come to love it. I, I like it a lot more than I did and is I think it's important to be able to separate it from the show. Like mm-hmm. it's certainly connected, mm-hmm. but it's also very different storytelling. And I'm glad it exists in segue for the third season. Like it's a really nice melding of sure. the two when that when we start getting into that. Um I mean and it wasn't even just my thoughts, I guess, when you know, I was young and whatever at the time, but this premiered at Cannes in, what, 94? 92. 92. Um, really? It was that quickly? I thought it, I thought there was a little bit of time after Cannes. No, um, 92 Cannes Film Festival. Yeah. It was booed. Yeah, it was, like, literally booed. Like, yeah, yeah. I, like, it, everybody, like, there's some of the, like, the worst reviews, I like, I like, worst rated reviews, like, the... Critics absolutely loathe this. Mm. Like, the only thing I can recall is Roger Ebert's uh, Armageddon review might be the only thing I've ever heard worse than this. <laughs> and everybody hated it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how many of those people, like, so much of this requires having the background of the Twin Peaks show. So yeah. I don't know if people were going into it. I know I was listening to. I want to say this was on Bickering Peaks, which is a Twin Peaks podcast, mm-hmm. where they watched Firewalk with me. There was, you know, similar format, a rewatch episode by episode, and they watched Firewalk with me with somebody who had never seen an episode of Twin Peaks, knew nothing about it, and brought in someone just to watch this because with the sole intent of like, does this stand? What up? is this? Is this a standalone movie? Could somebody just watch this movie? And one of the biggest things that I remember from that is that person mentioning the, a huge moment in this film is when 
Laura's crouched behind that bush because mm-hmm. she realized, like, she realized that the diary pages get torn out. She runs outside screaming and then sees her father walk out. Mm-hmm. If you didn't watch the show, that means nothing. You don't know who that is. Mm-hmm. You don't like, know who Bob is. You don't know yeah, who like, is. but you can. Bob's creepy. I get the idea. This yeah. guy's scary. Whoever it is, but if you don't know her father, that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. You know, so like just things like that. So you definitely need, you know, the Twin Peaks history going into this. Yeah, I would say you definitely. It does not stand alone as a movie, but I also don't think that necessarily is a judgment on like the quality of the movie. Because I think there's a lot of things that, like, if you go in with, without any knowledge of what, you know, a lot of, like, based on true stories or things that are based on very famous books, like, and then Mm -hmm. there were none is when I think of that, you were like, you'd never read the book and then there were none and then we watched the miniseries Mm -hmm. together and you were like, I don't know what the poem is. And so when people kept dying in these specific ways, they never read the poem out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I... Yeah. know that I've read that book yeah. a dozen times so like I absolutely know that poem and it didn't occur to me that at no point do they sit down and read through all 12 yeah. or all 10 rather um, anyway uh, should we jump into the plot as yeah. it were we don't have vlog lady intros anymore yeah. so <laughs> which although her one appearance in this movie is basically a log lady intro yeah, yeah it's <laughs> like, true just monologue a little bit yeah. at someone um, so Gordon Cole calls Agent Chester Desmond, who's arresting two sex workers and a school bus driver in Fargo. Is that just supposed to be like a funny bit of like... I think so. People are getting arrested. There's kids in the... Screaming. Screaming. And yeah, it's just, just awkward and weirdness. Yeah. Um, and Chester Desmond is... Chris Desmond. Also um, referred to as Chet a lot. Chet. So Cole assigns Chet to the murder... The mystery- <laughs> I thought this said murderous murder. It doesn't. This is mysterious murder. The murderous murder of Teresa Banks um, in the town of Deer Meadow. Cole introduces Chester to his new partner, Sam Stanley, played by a young Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland. Which this is an interesting. I love that they they introduce Sam Stanley here because he's very, very, very briefly introduced in the original series. In the when when during the initial. Not autopsy, but when Cooper's first looking at the body during the flickering light, and he's uh-huh. talking to Diane, and he says, "I want to get the, I want to get, you know, these report uh, information. I want to get these sent off, and send them, send them to Albert, not to Sam." And like, I th- that's I think why they picked that up. Diane, I'm at the Twin Peaks County Morgue with the body of the victim. What's her name? Laura Palmer. Laura Palmer. I got her before the autopsy. Diane, it's the same thing. I told you I had a feeling you'd see this again. What do you got? Ring finger, under the nail. Let's see where he left us. It's an arm. Diane, give this to Albert and his team. Don't go to Sam. Albert seems to have a little more on the ball. We need to bag and tag this. Okay, Cooper. Oh, like, interesting. I, like, I, I think I think Albert's better for this, or whatever whatever the line is exactly. But mm-hmm. it, he says, send it to Albert, not to Sam. I think Albert's better for this. Interesting. And I think, you know, so, hey, that's, we've already introduced, like, and then they never mention him again. That's right. the only mention, but I love that he comes back in later. Yeah. Um, and Keeper Sutherland is a baby in this. Like, he looks so young to me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
so I'm looking. He was born in '66. This was '92. So he's in his mid twenties, right? Wait, '76, '86. He would have been thirty in two. In yeah, got it. Nailed it. He's twenty-six. And this um, is like post Lost Boys and stuff like that, though. Right? Like he's already. Yeah, but I just think it's funny that part of his character is that even though he's visibly extremely young, he has reading glasses that he, like, it feels a I don't know if this is a criticism of the acting or the direction, but it feels a little bit like a like a high school play of like, I'm going to look older, so I, I'm going to hold my glasses. I, oh, I can't quite. <laughs> I, I wonder about, A, if they're reading glasses or if they're just like magnifying glasses. Because he's inspecting things a lot, yeah, but he's okay. also blinks a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. does he have some kind of eye condition? Sure. Um, like, like dramatic blinks, like not just like yeah. frequent like blinks, a, but like I like, like a friend who has like Asperger's, and it manifests sure. itself in him blinking. Yeah, or like that's, uh, like that's a um, symptom. Um, Tourette's. Tourette's. Thank you. Like everyone always just. Puts Tourette's is right. swearing uncontrollably, right. but it's but mostly like it's just tits, twitching yeah. and stuff like that. My friend, yeah, Joel, Joel had Tourette's. Oh yeah, yeah, um, has. He's I just ostensibly still has it. We just haven't seen him in a long time. He's I have, probably not dead. Yeah, I have not talked to him in years, but yeah. Um, hey, if Joel's a listener. <laughs> yeah, how you doing, Joel? Uh, Cole <laughs> introduces Chester to his new partner, Stan Stanley. They, re- they receive clues from Lil the Dancer, who communicates the case to be a Blue Rose case. Well, I, they really glossed over no that. It's being a really very Twin Peaksy moment. But Sometimes I absolutely adore this little scene. And today this I was little like. Scene? What's that? This little scene. <laughs> Sometimes I do find it really charming and winning. And today I just genuinely want to say, like, can you just tell us? Like, can you just use your... You're the fucking FBI. I'll, I'll get into theories about all this in a little bit. I want to kind of get through this segment mm-hmm. first and then kind of look back on it as a whole. Um, but what I do want to say here that I find interesting is... So this is all at this airport. Um, and there was an interesting story or whatever that I, I thought... Um, I don't... I don't remember who it was who told this. I think it was Josh, maybe Eisenstadt, or okay. I don't remember his name exactly. Sorry, Josh. Um, but he, when we were at Twin Peaks Fest in 2018, we did one of the events that they have is a bus tour where they go to all the or several of the mm-hmm. filming locations, and we drove on one road near this airport, this like private airport, and he was saying how apparently the guy who owns it now is like like i don't know if he didn't know that this was like a filming location when he bought it or what but Mm. has become insanely overprotective (laughs) and like if you get anywhere close to this airport like he will fire his shotgun at you and like these guys were telling the story about they went near there they were just looking for this airport and then they were running for their lives because a man was firing a shotgun at them like it's wild, yeah. Um, so that they took that location off of the bus tour, yeah. No, which kidding. is probably a wise move on the part of I the mean, Twin Peaks Fest. It depends on what you're interested in. If you're interested <laughs> in finishing the tour, then I would sure, say avoid sure. getting shot along the way. But that's that's just me. I don't yeah. do tours for a living. Um, and so this is is this our first? Certainly, in this movie is this the first Blue Rose? 
This is, yeah, this is the first mention of Blue Rose. In all of Twin Peaks? Yeah. It's so funny how many things, like, I tie so closely to Twin Peaks that you don't get until after mm-hmm. the or even the um, the Owl Cave symbol. It's late. And then way, the way, way yep. late. Um, and the ring and mm-hmm. the, yeah. Um, after some difficulty with the local police force. So, yeah, so let's, I like, the, so this scene, I love that you get this super bizarre moment. She does all these weird things. Mm-hmm. Lynch does that weird mm-hmm. hand over his face, twiggle, you know, twinkle his fingers thing <laughs> or whatever that is. Like, all sorts of stuff is happening. Meanwhile, Chet and... Uh, Gordon Cole are on the exact same page. Like they, mm-hmm. they know what's happening. This all makes sense to them. Mm-hmm. And Sam is just kind of like, he's our audience surrogate. What? He's our new guy in town. And it's I, lo- <laughs> what I think is like genuinely funny is that you're like, what the hell was all that? And immediately they just explain it. Yeah. Like beat for beat everything. And the the things that I find funny about that are a they just explain it. B, he's like, what else? What did you notice? And the first things. Sam Stanley says is the, I noticed the dress was taken in there was a different color thread mm. oh cool that means yada yada when they, they go, did you notice anything else there what 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 was did she was she wearing oh there was a blue ro- like the one thing that's so anybody would notice was like oh yeah there was I I recall there was a blue rose on there, but but, but he I, noticed the stitching right away. But, I think the, like those things are just bizarre but also, and fun. Can I press back by saying nobody noted that she's wearing a bright red wig? Like that wasn't part right, of anything. Right. So to say like oh he didn't like yeah. he didn't see blue rose. Anything you could have said anything. Yeah. But the he the did, the, the, the say, first thing he noticed is that the dress was taken. No, in he did say color. what I think did you notice funny. about her dress? He did, but he, he says that him. after that. He, he says, what did you notice about his dress? And then he says it was taken in to fit her. He's, I don't, he, Stanley says that, and then he says, did you notice anything else about what she was wearing? Let me ask you something, Stanley. Did you notice anything about the dress? The dress was altered to fit her. I noticed a different colored thread where the dress was taken in. Gordon said you're good. <laughs> Tailored dresses are code for drugs. Oh. You notice what was pinned to it? A blue rose? Good. Anyway, it's point being, I think it's genuinely entertaining that you get this really weird stuff. And you as a viewer coming off of this series, not knowing anything about what Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me is going to give you. Right. You're assuming, okay, I, this is, you know, the, the first dream sequence we get in the original series. Okay. I got a bunch of clues. Let's try to figure this out. What is this all going to be? And then he just immediately tells you mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, well, I, I was settling in for like, these are things I'm going to have to figure out and make sense of sure. as the story goes on. Sure. And no, just none of that. Yeah. Um, also interesting to note. Uh, Kyle McLaughlin didn't want to do this, mm-hmm. um, which is a big reason, likely, why they cast Chris Isaac. Mm-hmm. All of this was basically written for Dale Cooper. F- yeah, for McLaughlin and, and Dale Cooper, and they just replaced him with another guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally got Cooper to come on, and then they added his stuff later. Mm-hmm. Um, but I find that 
interesting too. So that's, I don't know, this whole sequence has a whole different vibe to it. Mm-hmm. But. Um, after some difficulty with the local police force, which I, I don't think we have time to like dig in this too much, but that police station was just somebody's house, right? Yeah. Okay, that was just yeah. like a we living saw room. Did we? Yeah. You and I, we? Yeah, at Twin Peaks Fest. It's, it was like right, that was the house at Olali State Park where we had the little picnic. Mm-hmm. Where we were sitting on the the benches mm-hmm. and stuff, there was the river he, like mm-hmm. to the one side, and then right after that little house, that's that house. Really? Yeah. Huh. Huh. Yeah, but that's absolutely. Then they they just like built that desk and put it in there, and yeah. It's just not even like a convincing office in any. Oh, yeah. It just looks like they put a desk in a yeah. living room. Um. So the world's most terrible police captain oh. or whatever. Also, everything about Deer Meadow is basically just upside down twin peaks everything is just like opposite okay like they don't have fresh coffee it's two days old like oh. they're nobody's nobody's helpful everybody's mean yeah it, like nobody's inviting everything everything is kind of the exact opposite that's interesting um well and yeah. eventually they go into a diner uh yeah and ha- haps Hap's Haps. Diner is ba- same, it's like the same anti thing. Double yeah, Double R, R is warm and inviting, and Peggy or Peggy Lipton, uh, Norma is, is super helpful, and she's gonna give you her specials. And I cook this one especially with love, just for you. Right. And we don't got any specials. Right. And like, like is which is, is honestly, re- if you're a restaurateur and you ask if they want to hear about yeah. specials, you didn't need to. She didn't need well, to say, "Do you want to hear about like, specials?" Like that's the thing is like they genuinely enjoy fucking with people. Right. Which is the opposite of Twin Peaks. Right, right, yeah. Um, Desmond Stanley eventually viewed Teresa's body at a morgue and realized that she's missing a ring and that a letter T has been placed under her left ring fingernail. Yuckaroo. <laughs> Desmond and Stanley learned more about the victim's recent past from the town residence at Haps Diner, where Teresa worked for a month, including a French-speaking girl... And an old guy with her and Irene. Apparently, the French-speaking girl says, "La no, oh, I don't speak French. La nuit est le bon moment." What do you think that means? I. Uh, you don't think my French was flawless? Oh no, I don't. Well, <laughs> do you think your translating skills or my speaking skills are worse? Yes. Yeah. Okay, I'm just going to look that up right quick, and it means... A couple of other things that I kind of took notes on that I thought were funny were, A, when Chet Desmond gets the call from Gordon Cole at the beginning, it's really loud, and so he tries to turn it down, and then the antenna goes down, Mm -hmm. as though the antenna is directly connected to the volume for some reason, which I thought was funny. Yeah, I thought that was weird, too. (laughs) Um, Apparently, this means night is the right time. Okay. Um... Yeah, and then, like, opposite of Twin Peaks again. Like, everything, like, Haps is at night. Whereas, like, everything is happening there overnight. Whereas in Twin Peaks, at Double R Diner, everything is broad daylight and bright and inviting. Sorry, I just got really into a rabbit hole of what she was saying. Oh, okay. Um, so they investigate the Fat Trout Trailer Park, owned by Carl Rod. Was so this- good. This is um, Stanton. Yeah, Harry Dean Stanton. Harry Dean Stanton. Um, <laughs> I really liked his signs that say absolutely do not knock. Oh, can you explain to me what was going on when they're saying it's early, it's late, it's early, it's late? What? The um, 
while they're at the diner, the two, Desmond and Stanley, keep talking about it's really early, it's really late, and they did they kind of continued that conversation into the trailer because it said don't disturb before 9 a.m. Yeah. And they kept saying it's too early, it's too late, it's too early. I think it's just that it's, I'll go into, there's a big theory that this entire sequence is a dream. Right. Um, and those are things that kind of happen in dreams. I don't know when it is. Mm-hmm. And I think it's reminders of things like that. Also, it's late in the, it's too late in the case. We need to do have started this already. It's um, early. It, like we've been, we've just been up this whole time. We're drinking a lot of coffee. Right. Everything here is just kind of delusional and a little loopy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just another reference that time isn't necessarily linear in this world anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also you'll you'll notice there's a lot of, um, especially Sam Stanley repeating himself. Okay. Like, like just we'll say the same line two times. Disease. I don't remember because you kind of said something about it, and I don't he, remember it at all. You'll, if you go back and you start watching it, it just happens a few times. A few people do it. One of the one of the ones was like. Uh, we sure did need this cup of coffee, didn't we, Agent Desmond? We sure did need this cup of coffee, didn't we, Agent Desmond? same way. Basically. <coughs> We're kidding, man. This stuff's got the sting of the 48-hour blend. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's the best goddamn coffee you're going to get anywhere, buddy. <laughs> we sure do need a good wake-me-up, don't we, Agent Desmond? We sure do need a good wake-me-up, don't we, Agent Desmond? Yeah, we do, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> like... And there, there's a couple of like, oh, it's really early. It's really early. Mm-hmm. Like, they'll just do that. Interesting. Uh, like, those are just weird things. There's just a bunch of just weird ticks sure. in all of that. And it's, the the theory is that that one, and I don't know if I buy into that or not. I'm, I'm curious about it myself. Um, but a theory is that it's Cooper's dream, which is why everything, and everything is kind of the opposite. Of Cooper's reality and the Twin Peaks reality, sure. including Chet Desmond, CD, Dale Cooper, DC. Huh. Um, uh, you know, the diner is at night instead of during the day. Mm-hmm. Everybody is really mean instead of very polite. Like mm-hmm. everything is kind of, you know. There's a trailer park as opposed to the Great Northern. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Every, you know, it's a bunch of rooms all connected. No, these are a bunch of rooms all separated right. specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all sorts of just opposite like things. Sure. Um, and I think it's an interesting approach and why not? It is very dreamlike feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I, I find it hard to apply a lot of those specific theories on anything in Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's a lot of theories about like, well, the whole second season of Twin Peaks, Cooper was actually dead. Hmm. Or, I don't, I think all of those, this is, this part was actually a dream. Mm-hmm. This was actual, the, any any actually theory, mm-hmm. I just find it hard to buy into. It makes me think of the, um, the documentary, I saw part of it, but I think you saw the whole thing, about The Shining, about people with their random oh, conspiracy yeah. theories, and yeah. like, the Shining is really about X. It's really about mm-hmm. Stanley Kubrick admitting that he faked the moon landing. It's right. really about the genocide of Native American people. Sure. Um, and I 
it's one of the uh, maybe it's from being a lit major and like there's just something very fun of like hey can you take the same text we've all taken and prove this completely weird different point like all the things that, like there's patterns where you didn't where you can't see them i to me to me i've always thought of it as david lynch trying to be nice like to his audience so, yeah so the very first thing you see is a smashing of a tv mm-hmm. pretty obvious no i don't get it can you I, right i'm not constrained by tv anymore mm-hmm. i'm gonna give you what i'm gonna give you mm-hmm. and does anybody swear besides bobby i know he says fuck at one point uh but there's like probably. obviously a lot of drug use a lot of tits but but not as much swearing i just think it's interesting what yeah what lynch decided to venture off it. like okay now that i don't have to worry about network tv am yeah. i gonna swear a bunch or are we gonna be i don't drugs, notice it I, swearing just doesn't register for me mm-hmm. i don't i don't tend to notice it mm-hmm. um but i'm sure laura does like yeah. i mean she she's fuck you james and whatever oh, yeah. like there's there's definitely times sure um but uh, where was i going i had a thought yeah lynch is being oh so yes so he destroys the tv saying forget about whatever where i'm gonna give you this thing but i know what you knew and loved about twin peaks and i'm gonna slowly work you into this new idea y'all ready for some because the first half hour of this movie even though it's an entirely bat- entire batch of new characters and everything. It's familiar. Is the most like the original series. It's very familiar. Then when we bring in the characters we know and love, it's nothing like the original series. Yeah. And I think it's like this like weird like ramp up to like you're we're gonna get into the 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 a part of Twin Peaks you don't like. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm gonna show you that like I'm still here. We're still I'm, in the same yeah, world. We're still in the same world. Everything, and then that's where I think the opposite fact part plays in. I, it, here's an here's everything the opposite of what you loved or like in the original series, but it's also the most familiar. Right. Right. And then when we get into the real Twin Peaks Fire Walk with Me movie, it's the characters and the things you know and love, but a very opposite delivery. Sure. sure. And I think it's just a a segue into the story I want to actually tell, mm-hmm. which is the horrific repeated abuse of Laura Palmer. Right, right. Um, so they investigate the fat trout trailer park. They cite a curious woman. Stanley leaves Deer Meadow after he finishes his part of the investigation, while Desmond re- remains behind for the, quote, blue rose. Desmond flat finds... Teresa's ring on a dirt there, pile under a trailer, never to be seen again. There's a couple of good moments with Harry Dean Stanton, mm-hmm. who I think is great He's in very this. Good in this. Uh, for just such a small role, I, he crushes it. Um, one thing I noticed that I loved is after they left the Deer Meadow station, Sam Stanley says, "I so I I I appraise that room, and I figure with with furniture, everything in that room is twenty six thousand dollars." Just cause, mm-hmm. and then when they get into Teresa Banks's, what you know, her trailer, they're looking around. Desmond's looking at, at you know the picture on the fridge. Harry Dean Stanton's in there, like going to get coffee or whatever. And you look at um, Kiefer Sutherland, and he's doing like 
that thing where he's kind of squinty-eyed and moving his mouth because he's clearly doing math. Mm-hmm. And he's not looking for clues. He's appraising that trailer mm-hmm. because that's a weird quirk this guy has. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I found that really interesting. I think this is the first time I've ever noticed that little bit. Yeah. Um, but I liked it. And then the other thing I love from this scene is there's a really beautiful little moment where at the end of the them looking at Teresa Banks's trailer where Harry Dean Stanton gets really, really sad and just says, like, I don't want to... I've seen some things and I don't want to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like... I, I don't want to anymore. Please, I hope whatever you're investigating doesn't bring in more shit. Mm-hmm. I don't, I've already been there mm-hmm. and it crushed me. And it's just so sad. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I love it though. It's a beautiful moment. Yeah, it really is. It And it sort of creates such a three-dimensional world for this yeah. one-off character. Yeah. And has he, has he been to this? Yeah. Red Room, Black Lodge, is he interacting with these characters? Unrelated shit. Yeah, and he exactly. Just had a rough life. And, and, it, and, and it just makes you like, I want to see that guy more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, on February 6th. Oh, and they also, there's a thing I noticed because he says it later, and I think he did it in the original series too, and now I can't remember, but the little man says. Uh, I am the arm and I sound like this. Does that whole thing. Mm-hmm. When um, Desmond is looking around the trailer park and he looks up and sees that number six electrical pole, mm-hmm. he looks up and you can hear that audio mm-hmm. is playing. Is the number six significant? You just, that that light pole comes in to play in the in this series three, in season okay. three, um, a little bit, but it's, just the signifier of that particular light pole. Gotcha. I don't know if six has more meaning. Well, it's, apparently this all took place in place on February six, so sure. Um, it's so it's at the same or moment. It starts on the six because it's the week before her death, and she died, I think, on the twelfth. Okay. Right. I'm just reading what TwinPeaksAtFandom.com says. Um, uh, Meanwhile, on February 6th, at the same moment at the FBI headquarters in Philadelphia, long-lost agent Philip Jeffries reappears after a nearly two-year-long disappearance. He tells Gordon, and this is... um, Bowie. David Bowie. I love... So this is our first time with Dale Cooper, this this movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Can we talk about the weird scene about him walking in front of the camera and then walking into mm-hmm. the... That is something that the first time I saw it, I, I was surprised at how short that scene was because in my head, mm-hmm. remembering seeing it for the first time, it was like a five-minute sequence of him going back and forth from the monitor I'm to the camera. It's not. <laughs> like, that seems like a thing Lynch would be like, I want him to do it 17 times. Yeah. <laughs> Just, like, so, he, so he's standing... He's, Maybe you can help me explain, because I don't know if I don't understand it or I do understand it and it doesn't make any linear sense. Like, are we supposed to understand that the um, the video monitor is on a delay and that's why he can still see himself in the hallway? Or... But he goes in and out two or three times and there is a delay. Like, he goes yeah. in and when he looks at the monitor, he's not there. And then he goes back out and he looks at, and then he goes back in uh-huh. and he's like, every time he looks at the monitor, it's not there until... Bowie comes in. 
And there is something about, maybe it's related to that old bit in every horror movie when somebody has a medicine cabinet um, in their bathroom with a mirror attached the, to it. Or the fridge or something, yeah. Yeah, well, I was thinking specifically it's behind you, but oh, like you yeah. move the medicine cabinet, oh my god, there's the murderers yeah, 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 behind yeah. you or whatever. That's what this reminded me of because the... And then they turn around and they're not there. Right. Right, yeah. Because the image of, like, I see where the camera is and I'm going to go back to the monitor. Fuck, that's still me, even though I'm not out there. Fuck, there's somebody out there with me. I find to yeah. be deeply scary. Yeah. Like, oh, that, is a, that is a thing that, like, touches to my unsettling. scare button. Yeah. So, but I, I think what I've enjoyed about like going through Twin Peaks is I'm getting better at like putting my finger on like, oh, this is what scares me, or this yeah. is what makes me. There's just something very fun and like, mm-hmm. like the specific things that scare the fuck out of me. Yeah. So what is you said you want to talk about it? What's your? Well, what are your thoughts on it? Do you have you a that. take? Do you have a idea, or do you, does it have a know. meaning like, to I you? I wanted or? you to tell me what it meant because I don't know. Like to me, it's very just like like a loss of understanding and perception which I think is always scary um I I think for me the concept of I thought I was alone and I'm not is Mm. the worst feeling in the entire world which is why that one episode of Treehouse of Horror fucked me up (laughs) for my entire life it's one where Bart has a conjoined twin (laughs) and there's a scene where everybody goes out to look for him and Bart is like you're still here aren't you and he goes I would never leave you Bart that when I was a teenager I would be in my kitchen at my house and be like oh fuck he's here as a you know grown adult now too okay I haven't done it in a while you just haven't watched it in a while (laughs) Well, every time I watch it, I do tell you. You can tell when I watch it because I always tweet about how brave I am when I watch yeah. it. Uh, I did want to watch all the Treehouse of Horrors, but you don't like them. No, I like them fine. I just they're not your know. favorite. Yeah, Simpsons yeah. Content. If I'm listing my favorite episodes, rarely is a Treehouse of Horror on there. <laughs> I'd never leave you, Bart. Um. Anyway, so um, you don't have a thought. Honestly, it's one of those things that, like, the more I. Th- it doesn't become more clear the more I think about it. It's just one of those, like, visualizations mm-hmm. that's creepy to me. To me, I I, th- I think it's an indicator of two things. One, Cooper's idea of having a perception of things. Like, he knows to be looking at that monitor and the camera and okay. the monitor. and the, Like, he knows something is going to happen. Sure. Like, that... that um, visionary or whatever what's the word i'm looking for the uh, a perceptor a perceptor uh, no like Perceptive? he can see the future and clairvoyant what, yes the clairvoyance or like that idea of he knows something is about He's to happen to something odd. yes he doesn't know what it exactly. is exactly so i think there's that which is why he goes in and out a few times he's like i think something's going to happen sure otherwise why would he have ever looked well isn't there another person isn't there another person monitoring? Yeah, there's like a security guard sitting but there. But does he no. react? I, I no. know. I, no, he just kind of like looks back at him. Like, I don't know what you're doing, but doesn't matter because that's this is the world that we live in. Um, so I think I think there's an indicator there, a little bit about Cooper's character. Sure. Um, and then to me, it represents a breach in space time. A literal breach in space. Like, time? so this everyone in this little bubble experienced Philip Dreyfus showing up. Okay. But it didn't happen in real time. It paused the 
it put basically put, the time is you and I know if we're in the world of Cooper and Gordon Cole and all that it if we're in that world it put a pause on our real time okay so that he could come in have this little conversation and then when he le- he leaves our time starts back up again I love that that's I think his I existence I've either paused our real time or took us out of our real time into some other parallel timeline and then put us back. You know what that makes me think of? Or nope. took us out to another parallel timeline and then we picked up from that new timeline. Mm, sure. Whatever. But it's real time reality in our world stops while, while sure. Jeffries is there. It makes me think of... Um, when's the last time we saw Big Fish? Ooh, long time ago. So... Big Fish is one of my probably top ten favorite movies. It's Still, diff- I, I you know have you I seen just, it in a while. Yeah, I rewatched about six months ago. Oh really? And mm-hmm, it was just one of those like late night. You had gone to bed, and I just wanted to watch something familiar. Um, I genuinely adore it in in a lot of in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. But there's a scene that made me think of this is when he sees who will eventually be Jessica Lange, his wife, but it's a different actress whose name I can never remember. Allison Lohman. Yes, she's so pretty with her red hair. I love her. <laughs> She has that like that blunt wavy hair that I've mm-hmm. gotten that haircut like fourteen times and everything. I'm like, oh no no no, she's just beautiful and like your hair's just not thick enough for that. No, you need I to have, have really thick hair. 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 Yeah, um, so anyway. I have the same. Yeah, hair. <laughs> anyway, there's a scene where he sees her and time freezes, and it's this beautiful, really like ethereal scene when mm-hmm. he's walking through the circus and he's like knocking yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the popcorn down. And he sees her and he gets to her, and then the narration, the Albert Finney narration, is. You know, when you see the person you're meant to be with, time stops. But then when it starts up again, it goes much quicker to compensate. Mm -hmm. And so you see it stop, and then he's standing there staring at her, and everything goes in fast motion, and she's gone. He can't get to her. That's what kind of what made what that made me think of. Like time is not an on. This isn't something I believe in the real world, but in these sort of uh, circumstances, it's like time is. It's more like a river than anything else. Like it could slow down a little bit it could mm-hmm. speed up eventually well, it's it's, going there's, yeah, that was my best no there's a there's a whole theory that time is an emotion when you say theory do you mean like a lynchian theory or like uh, a i've just i've heard that concept being brought up before i find discussions of time and what it means to be like like emotionally very stressful really (laughs) yes interesting um but yeah like there's the idea that because when you're having fun time goes by quicker when something when you're miserable and having a hell of a time it seems to last forever so 2020 is the longest year that's ever existed in man exactly and it like the idea is that it's an emotional state Mm -hmm. or it's at least affected by emotional sure like it's but i think that not to god who fucking cares what i think about like physics but <laughs> I think that that is a reflection on perception more than it is on time itself right potentially and that, that's the idea is where do those two intersect and yeah is it is time is like are there f- physics properties to time because are there yes and it stresses me out so much but that's exactly it and I think that's why these ideas like that's why theoretical like I watched it already. We just started it so that you can watch it. But devs oh, okay. is really big in that. 
mm-hmm. that world of this idea of time and perception of time and all this stuff. Great show. I highly recommend it to anyone who wants some cool, interesting sci-fi Guys, stuff. I cannot stress this enough. It is not about superheroes. It is not about superheroes. Mikey just started and he's like, do you know what it's about? I'm like, I think it's about superheroes. He's like, yeah, you nailed it. Is usual. Just the <laughs> smartest person I know. <laughs> uh, it's No, but it's very good. It's like a sci-fi gem. Um, uh, but anyway, that's I, I like I love I love theoretical science like that. Like those <sighs> concepts of like and I but I love them dumbed down to a level where it's just like here's fun entertainment. <laughs> you wanna read like somebody who wrote about quantum quantum physics for a fourth grader and you're well, like But eh. that's why I like like Avengers Endgame and shit like that. Because mm-hmm. like I know none of this fucking science makes any sense, but it's fun. I love Back to the Future. Like, Back to the Future 2, when they tackle the whole, like, oh, well, you split the time-space continuum, and now there's this other, this this different Hill Valley 1985. (laughs) It's so dumbed down to the point where, like, I love this. This is fast. This is a cool concept. But it... There's no legitimate science backing any of that up. You know what I mean? But, like, I love... Playing in those, I the dumb version of that. But is there something about they're setting up new parameters and playing within those parameters? Like, because I feel like you and I have the same thing of like, I don't care what the concept is. I just want it to be logically consistent. Follow your own this, rules. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, God, there's. I'm gonna rewatch Community soon, but there is an episode where the dean decides he's gonna write about time travel, <laughs> and the end he just screams, "Time travel is really hard to write about." It's true. And it's just such an odd. Well, and th- like that when I mentioned that this hoodie, we're uh, Avengers ready. Endgame. They talk about that like as being Back to the Future, really and truly set time travel rules for the general dumb world. You know what I mean? Like everyone understands that. Well, you can't interact with your old self or you're gonna break something like all these rules back to the future put them out and made them noteworthy and famous Mm -hmm. and now it's become the gold standard of time travel and yes there's definitely interstellar or movies like that that like try to get more into like the the legitimate science of black holes and time travel and all this kind of stuff but generally speaking when you make a silly fun or even just just base level simple time travel movie mm-hmm. it's following the back to the future rules i want to learn more about i want to ponder more about that because i don't know off the top of my head but like i read uh what's it called the time travel machine time travel machine the time traveler the time traveler the jules verne one no no, no. oh god it's not jules <laughs> sorry it's um isn't that the time travel is that a jules verne no, Jules Verne wrote... The Time Machine. Time Machine, that's what it is. Um, I read that in high school. Is that what you're talking about? Uh-huh. So you are talking about Jules Verne. It's not Jules Verne, though. It oh. is... Um, book. Did Jules Verne write The Time Machine? It's H.G. Wells. H.G. Wells. Jules Verne wrote 10,000 Leagues Under the Sea and oh. like some other stuff. Um, I'm just really embarrassed because I have listened to all I thought of... Jules Verne did a big time travel thing. Are you just proud that you know who Jules Verne is? No, I just thought that. Let's see. Well, because I've listened to all of um, the Dead Authors podcast, and mm-hmm. Paul Tompkins plays H.G. Wells, and it's like this whole yeah. thing that any anytime somebody brings up Jules Verne, he's like, oh, the guy who made a squid and made it a bigger squid? That's not, <laughs> it's not science okay. fiction. 
Uh, 20,000 leads around the world in 80 days during the center of the Earth. Oh, that's what I'm thinking of, I think. Yeah, but he it's did... not really time travel, but yeah, okay. But it's all that same world. Yeah. I think I just assumed Time Machine was also Jules Verne. Is, no. Because it, it fits that same genre. Oeuvre. <laughs> well, they both claim to have invented um, science fiction. So, But anyway, I read um, H.G. Wells when I was in high school. I want to be very clear. I read it for fun in high school because I had lots of friends and many, many boyfriends. Where were you going with it? Are, you just interrupted like your own story. <laughs> what? I don't understand. I'm so confused right now. Why did you bring up? Oh, just no, no, because no, you had said there are. You had mentioned that uh, Back to the Future Two or Back to the Future set up all these rules in pop sure. culture, and I'm curious how the Time Machine by H.G. Wells. Oh, uh, gotcha. Influ- like how many? How much of Back to the Future was pulled sure, from probably. from H.G. Wells, and how much did it? Yeah. Obviously, it built upon it. That's that's where I was going, and then I really got distressed and I couldn't think of the name H.G. Wells. Yeah. <sighs> okay, so we have David Bowie, Philip Jeffries, Jeffries, Jeffries. Who's Jeffries? There's a baseball pitcher. Nope, I am thinking of Terry Jeffries from Brooklyn Nine Nine. Jeffers. Fuck me. Should have just gone with the pitcher. <sighs> so Bowie, Bowie in a listen. We're all going to worship David Bowie. He is a musical giant. Mm-hmm. His American accent is rough stuff. It's supposed to be like Cajun. Like, it's supposed to be like a Louisiana accent. Good news. It didn't sound like fucking anything. So. And, and he was really, really embarrassed and self-conscious about that. And David Lynch really wanted it. These are the things that I, I find really fascinating about David Lynch as a director and filmmaker. When you get these, like, perfectionist filmmakers... Like they'll be, he'll be he knows exactly what he wants in his head and he'll get this idea or whatever it is and need to have to need to have it out there and he'll he'll do what he has to do to get it you know I want this you know this oil is slightly the wrong color I want mm-hmm. it's gonna be slightly yeah it's gotta be whatever but then like. Bowie will come out with his accent. He's like, "That's fine. I love it. Yeah, like I what? Love that Close enough. It like it. You're doesn't a citizen matter. of the world, you know. Yeah. yeah. Because Bowie, because really Bowie can accent. do an American accent. He has. He's an actor. He's done. When was he American? Um. I guess I've genuinely the only movie I can think that I saw him in besides the Labyrinth was is um the magician one, Prestige. Yeah. He's, he's, is he American? Yeah. He's uh. Um, Tesla. No, the other one. Edison? Edison Tesla. No, he's Tesla. Yeah. Is Tesla American? Tesla was... Tesla's not American, is he? I'm going to have so much... With a name like Nikolai? (laughs) I don't know where Tesla was from. I just realized that. (laughs) Speaking of which, I have to watch the new Tesla movie. Kyle MacLachlan's in it. There's a new Tesla movie? Yeah, it just came out this year. Ethan Hawke. It's like a biopic. That's fun. Ethan Hawke is Tesla and Kyle MacLachlan plays Edison. He was Serbian American. Who ah. plays Tesla? Uh, Ethan Hawke. I don't like Ethan Hawke. Really? Oh. Oh, I like Ethan Hawke a lot. No, I liked him in that one scary movie that we saw where he played an author, but I just didn't buy him as an author because he's too good looking to be an author. Um, I just find him. Maybe it's because I sinister. By the way, sinister. I always get that one and another one mixed up. Insidious. Insidious. Yeah. <laughs> Genuinely, for the rest of my life, I'll yep. never tell those things apart. Just and I, start calling them both in sinister. In, in sinister, um, 
I think because I was just of an age where Ethan Hawke was like everywhere when I was a really small kid and it, it just felt like adult bullshit whatever Ethan Hawke was in. Well, because, like, I'm not a Gen X kid. I'm younger than oh, Gen yeah. X. And Ethan Hawke was so in that Gen X. Oh, I mean, it, it, it's Reality Bites. You were right. right. Reality yeah, Bites I, I say he's the Gen X. Gen he X was in anthem. Reality Bites. I mean, I, I, I lived off that movie. I've never seen it. Oh, it's so good. It's but so I've good. seen I mean, Lady Bird, which I think is the It's the why I'm in love with Winona Ryder. I mean, it's, you know, it's... Steve Zahn being absolutely hilarious. It's Janine Garofalo being top of her game. Like, and it's, and it's what put Ben Stiller on the map. Like he, it's his directorial debut. He directed that? Yeah. Doesn't he play straight too? Not straight sexually, but doesn't he play straight man? He's like the corporate square. Yeah. That's so bizarre. Yeah. Have I told you when Anne and my friend Anne and I watched St. Elmo's Fire and... I couldn't stop laughing yeah. the entire time yeah. because she mentioned as it started, she's like, okay, imagine that the cast of Mallrats was a theater crew and after that movie wrapped, they're like, oh, we're going to do another movie. And they're all like, I'm going to play a completely different character than what I played before. And yeah. so the guy who played Bender is like a suit-wearing Wall yeah. Street guy. And like, it was just one of those things that every time Bender showed up in a fucking suit, I was like, <laughs> fucking nerd. Yeah. Let's get back to the world of Twin Peaks because we are just now literally at like we haven't even seen Laura Palmer yet. God, okay. Um, Okay, uh, so so Jeffries oh yeah, that was my fault. Jeffries or Jeffries? Jeffries. Jeffries tells Gordon of the events he's seen saying that Judy is not to be talked about. He recalls the reunion in the room above the convenience store of a little man, Bob, Mrs. Chalfant, Mm -hmm. her grandson, the jumping man, two woodsmen, and the electrician. Yeah. Wait, is her grandson and the jumping man the same person? They did The jumping man is the... With the the mask. The guy with the red, with the mask, with the nose... Or with the face with the nose, really. Oh, yes, yes, yes. The and, very and he's jumping deeply up. scary. Yeah. Um, that mask fucks my shit yeah. And up. then the kid is wearing a mask that's like... It looks like it. a Yeah, a mimic of it, yeah. And it has no... It's just flat white with that terrifying yeah. nose. It it's looks, like paper mache. Yeah, yeah, it looks like a thing you would have made in like second grade class and you bring mm-hmm. it home to your mom and she's like, oh, oh that's beautiful, honey. That's going in the fucking garbage because yeah. my kid is possessed by Satan, I guess. Yeah. Um, Two woodsmen, so we're going to see the woodsmen a lot more in the uh, third season. For sure. Um, uh, yeah, but this is, like, this whole, we'll see a lot more of this in The Missing Pieces. This whole, are we watching that? Yeah, why not? The, the, this whole segment is, was a lot longer, and this was really, really chopped up and almost montaged. Yeah, because nothing, we yeah. don't see, like, you, this action. This stuff is more, a lot more linear. It's like B-roll almost. Yeah. But this is what I like. What I find interesting about this is everyone refers to that red room as the Black Lodge, mm-hmm. and I don't think that it is. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the is the convenience store? Might be the Black Lodge. This room with the wallpaper, mm. that flowery wallpaper that Laura goes into in her dream, right? Might be the Black Lodge, but no, we don't ever know for sure. Um. But what I love about this is Lynch Lynch's whole idea of getting to this room was always a dream world. 
to him. Like, okay. you access it in your dreams. That's how you get to this place. Uh-huh. And then the writers, mostly Peyton and Engels, writing the latter half of season two, wrote it as like, there's a gateway and it's in the woods by this place and you can walk in there. And they built that world and he really couldn't go against it. Sure. So he had to kind of roll with that, which is why I think now he kind of created this other space, this wallpaper room that has several rooms that Chalfont guides Laura in in her dream mm-hmm. and this room above the convenience store. Like these are these are places that are accessible by dream maybe? Uh-huh. We don't like this is closer to the Black Lodge than the Red Room is to me. Okay. That's all. That's I and I think he, Lynch just kind of created a new room since that other room got too physicalized. Sure. Okay, that makes sense. But I sense. don't know. All right. Special, Who the hell am I? Uh, nobody. Just kidding. I love you or everything. Special Agent Dale Cooper is sent to Deer Meadow to investigate Desmond's disappearance in the park. A residence asks Carl about her hot water while Cooper sees the words let's rock in the windshield of Desmond's car. The clues to Teresa Banks' murder have led to a dead end. Cooper, however, is certain that her killer would strike again. Is this the part when he has that very good line reading of like, where are you going? I'm going over here. That's not the way to his Uh, trailer. And he's like, I'm not going to his trailer. Where are you going? <laughs> like it's so good. He's like, I'm going over here, and he just takes a step to the yeah. side. It's very good. Um, so one year later in Twin Peaks, uh, this is a week before her murder. So we're finally so, back in Twin so that's, Peaks. That's another thing. Is yes, we know that um, uh, Teresa Banks stuff is a year prior, but what we don't know is. When is... I guess we got a date. Did we get a year? I thought it was just one year later. No, when... During the the stuff in Philadelphia. February 6th. Did we get a year? I don't know. Because I don't know if that's a... Like, all the Jeffrey stuff. Like, that, that. it's all time jumbled. And I'm curious if we actually have a... Can lock that into a linear time, and I'm not sure. Just thinking aloud. I guess maybe we it it is still in that year yeah, before because he talks so about was, seeing another because he talks to Albert about seeing the next. This is going to happen again. It's going to be a blonde girl. She's uh-huh. preparing an abundance of food, or is that later? Am I jumping ahead myself? <sighs> Do we come back to Philadelphia for that? I think we come back to Philadelphia. Yes, we're gonna. Okay. We have, sorry, we have a scene coming up with you can Albert. Cut this if you want, <laughs> um, you might have to cut a lot of this. <laughs> Um, so I'm assuming, so assuming... We skipped dinner for this, guys. Yeah. Well, we are dedicated. It's true. I did have some cheese. It was good. Um, wait, I'm just trying to put this into your... Okay, so assuming the events of Twin Peaks, as we know them, take place in March 89. Well, end of February. End of February 89. So that means that Philip Jeffries disappeared in 87. No, no, 86. Reappeared okay. two years later. That's when the whole... It's 88. So, okay. So it's... So, and then a year later, okay. it's 89. Thanks. 
Um, a resident asks Carl about her hot water while Cooper sees the word. Oh, we did that already. And that's where you hear the woo 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 on a light pole. Got it. Uh, Cooper, however, is certain that her kill. We did that already. When you're. Oh, God. Okay. I'm going to cut everything up until this. One year later in Twin Peaks, seven days before her murder, Laura Palmer goes to school with Donna Hayward, who, and this is played by Moira Kelly. Yeah. Who I, I adore. I think she's great. Yeah. I think she has, like, those big Disney princess eyes. Before that, we get into oh. her, I just wanted to say, there's a mo- first you see the, the one year later title card is the bend in the road with the Welcome to Twin Peaks sign, which mm-hmm. is... Like, uh, uh, we're home. thank you. Yeah, we're home. And they have the theme. And there's there's a moment. Yeah, the 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 main the main title theme plays, and you see Laura Palmer in full bright color come to life, and you realize you've never seen this. You've seen that weird iteration of her in the red room. You've seen her wrapped in plastic. You've seen the old home movie picnic thing mm-hmm. all of that stuff I'm on the mountain. but this is the first time you see you feel like you've known this person you realize you've never even seen them in existence nothing um yeah i'm trying to think of is this the first time we hear her voice like well, not you... not garbled because she doesn't talk in the the video with Donna that James records. The only other time we really see her is like she screams a few times. I mean, you yeah, you hear the backwards talk. Right. Um, but yeah, even like before she really starts speaking, there's just like, you're introduced to her in close up, you know what I mean? Which is rare. Like most of the time you're introduced, you got a wide establishing shot and mm-hmm. you move in. Like it's just here she is alive Mm -hmm. and it's it's a goosebump moment like Mm -hmm. it's it really hits you i feel like they do a great job of just and she's just she seems so promising and she's got a smile on her face she's going to see her best friend all of it is just so delightful but yeah so she gets to donna's house Mm -hmm. of course calls her by name so that we know it's donna right um, um, and this is an ongoing, you know, battle and debate. And it, it always seems to end up at the 50-50 mark. Um, but if you are picking a side, do you like Moira Kelly or Lara Von Boyle? I mean, I'm team Moira Kelly, but I think that ha- probably has more to do with the fact that, like, Donna's character got really mm-hmm. ragged in the second season. And I found her... I, I, I don't know if she was written poorly or acted poorly. I think I mean, it's I, I think it's more the former than the latter. I think she's a decent. I think I th- oh, like, it's not a it's a yeah. judgment on like like Lara you Boyle get through the or... first several episodes and I think she's the Lara Flynn Boyle is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's something like Lara's Lara Flynn Boyle is great. I think, but there's the character doesn't do anything. Yeah. Never really takes a satisfying journey, whereas the Donna in this movie mm-hmm. takes a ride, mm-hmm. and I love it. Yeah, I mean, I think you and I both have affection for Moira Kelly as an actor as well. Um, she's in yeah. your very favorite movie of all time. <laughs> I do love me Cutting Edge. Cutting Edge is very good, but like you know, she 
I guess she's not as popular. I just know her from Lion King she, she's and in West Wing like, and West Wing. She was in The Cutting Edge. She was in yeah Lion King. She's in she was in Chaplin, that Robert Downey Jr. Oh, movie. Oh yeah, played his like twelve year old cousin. That he she's in that movie with honors with Pesci. Um, no, I like her. I kind of liked her performance, but I I think it was probably more the writing than the acting. Hmm. I thought she thought. did a lot of really good subtle stuff, like the way she reacts to. Laura, I, I I thought she genuinely played really well a young, naive person who's genuinely nervous and scared for her friend, mm-hmm. but just doesn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. So she just kind of accidentally enables. Right, right. Yeah, that's fair. And I, 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 the way she delivers it and... The way she starts getting those hints. What, what I think is interesting is she gets those hints of trying to become Laura and getting closer and closer to becoming Laura. Mm-hmm. The way she steals her jacket, shirt mm-hmm. thing and stuff kind of feeds into what we get from Laura Flamboyle later, which yeah. is her taking the sunglasses and she takes up smoking and all this stuff to become more like Laura. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which is interesting because Laura expressly says, I don't want you to be like me. Right. So that's interesting. Um, so Laura, uh, when she's at school, she does coke. She makes out with James Hurley. Um, after school, she talks with Donna about the difference between Hurley and her actual boyfriend, Bobby Briggs. Laura realizes there are pages missing from her secret diary. Oh, hang on, that, that just that just jumped. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, yeah. So all the school stuff is is a good setup of what's going on there her relationship dynamic between bobby and james mm-hmm. uh but the way she plays bobby is beautiful that whole scene where he's like what the fuck where are you better she's like shut the fuck up bobby and then they basically just kind of like bats her eyes and uh-huh. it's like it's okay sweetie mm-hmm. and he's like okay and so it's like dancing backwards and that real indication song starts playing i did not like and that then scene. the entire like is that song like is the music re- like everyone's kind of dancing? I don't know if I would have noticed they were dancing. If you, I don't. Would you say they were dancing? Or Some people are just like wandering weird, but nobody's just going about their day. Sure. It's like the same thing we get from that kid in the hallway who like slams his locker and then does that like Zoidberg sideways dance walk thing oh, yeah. across the hallway. Uh, you know what I mean? Why like not Zoidberg. That's just what people do on the campus of Twin Peaks. I guess. Mm-hmm. I. It's it's bizarre. Right? But it's it's an interesting snapshot. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it gives the school this sort of another otherworldly yeah. kind of yeah. uh, feel to it. Um, Laura realizes that there are pages missing from her secret diary. This scene is incredible. Mm-hmm. She The way she walks in, she's got her cigarette, mm-hmm. she's puts her behind the dresser to pull her diary out, and is like ready to write in it. Mm-hmm. And the switch that she turns, mm-hmm. and her like the way she starts shaking, incredible. She we talked about this while we were watching it. She is so good in this movie. So good, like better than she than anybody has any right to. And considering, as he said, she was hired on to, to take a, a picture. picture. Yeah, to be a dead girl in a picture. Which I mean, I think that's you know Lynch obviously carved more around her when he. Discovered sure. how much he I mean, liked her. and he brought her in because to play Matt, uh, Maddie Ferguson right. and whatever. But yeah, oh yeah, I guess that's when we've heard her voice. 
Because she. Well, we the but we heard like when you because when you hear Laura's voice, it's deeper. It does sound deeper. Like when she plays Maddie, she plays mm-hmm. it up here is this naive and innocent. So when you hear Laura's voice, it doesn't sound the same. Yeah, it it's it's different. really easy to forget that that's the same actress. Mm-hmm. Um, she so she goes to tell Harold Smith about the pages that were ripped out, saying that Bob did it and getting mad at Harold for not believing in him. And then she gives Harold her diary. This was... Believing in him? In Bob. Bob. Oh, gotcha. Which I really liked that whole thing of her oh, yeah. trying to be like, no, 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 Bob is a actual real person. And, and he's obviously, he's doing what anyone wants to do. Like, yeah, yeah, Bob is mm-hmm. representative of something. And this is, this is when you get, this is that scene I was thinking of a couple weeks ago when we talked about the look of Wyndham Earl. Yes, yes, and yes, my, yes. And my thought or my idea of, because you get that brief Laura screams and she's got the white face, the yellow mouth, the black lips. Mm-hmm. Um, so scary. This is the same, this is a similar look to the Wyndham Earl we see that Leo looks at him and he's got that creepy pale face and black teeth and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and we see this again later with Leland. Um, but to me, this means this is a visualization of there's a connection with the Black, with the Black Lodge, Lodge or the or other the, side. The, or... Yeah, this or Black Lodge entities or whatever. But this is a moment of it's breached into the real world and then it goes away. Like, sure. I, I think like it's just a visualization. Well, and you of, had like, you you've you, a moment of tethering. Between these two locations. And you had said that you were curious whether that sort of weird face is in the eye of the beholder, if that's a physical expression of what's yeah. going on. Do you, does this change anything to you? I No, because we never really... I don't know. I mean, I think it's open to interpret it, but that could very... Like, Harold gets genuinely frightened, but also she just screamed for no reason. So, like... It could be that too, but I I wouldn't surprise me if it was a visualization of of Harold's, you know. Yeah, that makes sense. Meanwhile, Agent Cooper tells fellow FBI agent Albert Rosenfield that he okay. believes the killer will strike again and describes the appearance of of who he believes the victim will be, which is obviously I, I liked this whole <laughs> as a as a person who is a skeptic and has like watched a lot of like this is why psychics are bullshit (laughs) i really enjoyed the development of the scene he's like okay all right so you think you know the next victim what what's her what's her whole fucking jam Mm -hmm. he's like oh she's blonde she does drugs she has some drama going on and albert's like sexually active sexually active and albert's like cool great job you narrow it down to all high schoolers but wow fucking half the girls in america yeah which I really liked because you do, you're like, oh my, because it's just such the journey you take if you're like kind of skeptical mm-hmm. about things like that. I'm like, wow, they are right about this thing. And they're like, oh, it's a Barnum statement. Fucking everybody's yeah. like that. Like, oh, but, are you quiet at first and then get really gregarious in person? So unique of you. But then it, but then it ends on a, an interesting note of all of that. And you're like, yeah, yeah, that's ridiculous. And of course that applies to everybody. That's the fortune cookie horoscope Not me. Approach. I was neither sexually active, nor did I do drugs right. in high school. Okay. Um, I read the time machine. But they, so they do that whole whatever. And Albert's obviously apprehensive, but we don't know what Albert's reaction is to, okay, fine. What's she doing now? She's preparing a great abundance of food. 
that's a little more specific. I mean, yes. could be whatever, but it but it is interesting. And then like, then we see her come out of the meals on with a. Well, it's one you know. of those. It's one of those things that the character within a show is reacting exactly how I would react if I was in that reality. Sure. But also understanding that Twin Peaks does not take place in. Like, and this the world is a year we prior. Know. We don't. Yeah. We're not going to know if any of that's true. Right. Because right. like, but this is a year prior. It's like, what's what's going to happen? Someone's going to get killed, or is this little Cooper Albert moment happening in real time? Is is this now not a year before? Because oh, we already had the one year later time. So is this is this a year later from the last Philadelphia scene? I do think that. So I this, do think like, that because I think he is calling the and she is murder at, of Laura Palmer is coming up soon. Yeah, and when when she's preparing a great abundance of food, those are actually happening at the same time, and she is in fact preparing. That is, that is what I think. That, yes. Okay, that that's fair. I like that. Um, while preparing for her meals on Wheels Route, Laura sees Mrs. Chalfont and her grandson, who is played by Lynch's real son. Not right? anymore. Oh, that's not him? No. It's, it's same another kid? kid who looks a lot like him. I mean, maybe just you put like a real dense quaff on any kid and they yeah. kind of look like yeah. <laughs> they kind of look like David Lynch. Interesting. I did not know that. Um, Mrs. Chalfont gives Laura a painting. Um what did she say? Like this, this would look, look nice good. on your wall. Yeah. <laughs> I also thought that would be a really fun cross stitch project. It's like redoing that. Yeah. The problem is I can't give you gifts of cross stitch projects because they take a year and you can. That's fine. But it can be a surprise. Sure. But yeah, yeah they they sell those prints at a lot of places oh, and stuff. Yeah. Um, her grandson informs Laura that the quote man behind the mask is in Laura's room. Spooky love scary. That. I love that. So scary. I love I love that because it puts a literal So it's it's not it's a not uncommon way to deal with trauma, especially like, you know, abuse or sexual abuse specifically, to make up things about your abuser. You know what I mean? Like Explain. to make up like a Oh, it's like especially if it's somebody like your if your father is sexually abusing you, the idea that she sees Bob as like a mask for her father. I don't think she's ever seen her father abuse her. That makes sense. She sees Bob. Bob is the mask for Leland. So when he says the man behind the mask, that's Leland. And Leland is the one in her bedroom right now going after the diary. Okay. So so later when she has that moment of like, who are you? Who uh-huh. are you? It's because she's never seen, she's only ever seen Bob. And it's because her brain, her brain has told her that it's a protective measure. Sure. Yeah, Be- there's a similar... Well, it's a common plot line. There's one yeah, in, in but Haunting it's, of Hill House, they do that. Yeah, it's a way to protect yourself from abuse that's too much to bear. Right, right. And so th- I think that that sets up that first inclination of a mask. Or not mm. inclination, that's not the right word. But that sets up that first instance of... Hint. Yeah, this... Bob is a mask for Leland. Then later, the who are you when she actually sees him. And then when she confronts Leland the next morning. Mm-hmm. And Leland is like, I 
thought you already knew it. Or, I th- or no, it's when he kills her at the end where he's like, I thought you always knew it was me. Mm-hmm. I thought you've always known. And it's... it's and that's and that's why like sinister. we talked about this a long time ago when it was like, how much is Leland culpable and all this stuff? And I was like, it's because of Fire Walk With Me that like... Yeah. It, Leland is like... He's preemptively drugging his wife, all this shit. Like he knows what he's doing. It's it's like to me, it's very much like a like a fucking heroin addiction or something like that. Like you know, it's bad for you. Mm. You don't want to. I'm um, I'm gonna do it or whatever you do, it, and then I'm not gonna do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. I'm fine. I'm fine. And this then is it, this last one. Yeah, and then a little bit later, when you start wanting it again. God, I shouldn't be doing this, but I'm gonna. Well, and it's a small thing. It's just a small fib, and then it... It's... I think every time this happens, he doesn't want to do it, Mm -hmm. but kind of he does. Yeah. And I think he allows it to happen. he has to. Right. And it's... Yeah. I don't know. Um... Laura lets Shelly Johnson deliver the remaining meals on wheels and returns home where she sees Bob in her room, which is a... Wait, have we skipped over the part? Oh, no. Okay. Um, I love this reveal. Like, Bob the and tilt her- around the, the, the corner, and all you see is his elbow for a second uh-huh. before it cuts back to Laura, and it's just the, a jean jacket elbow, mm-hmm. and then you cut back to Laura, and she screams. You're like, absolutely. Yeah, I know yeah. exactly what the fuck I that is. I know that elbow. Yeah. I know that fucking jean jacket. <laughs> Um, she runs outside in terror, hides And then in the cuts b- back and you see full Bob. But, yeah. yeah. Um, she runs outside, hides in the bushes, and then looks up and... Please don't be him. Please don't be him. Please don't Leland be him. Leland like Palmer walks fucking, out the door yeah. and she... This is what we understand the first time she actually connects. Oh, Bob is my father. Yes. The, the first time she's confirmed. This is not, the first time. Not, I wouldn't call it confirmation. I think it's the first, like, first time she's hypothesized this. Oh, considered it? You yes. Mean? Okay. Interesting. Um, because she's, like, when she's I laying there, she says, please don't be him. Please don't be him. Mm-hmm. I, she sees that, but she doesn't know. And then that whole conversation with him in the car, she's basically grilling him. Mm-hmm. About oh, where were you? Did you go home early? Yeah. And she's. Because she does, she she thinks she thinks it might be, but also doesn't want it. Well, to she be. wants him to. She wants to be wrong about this. Right, so. exactly. Um, but she doesn't confirm anything. I don't think until the scene where she grabs him by the face. Gotcha. Um, so we're back at the Palmer house. Um, Laura walks in, sits down, is about to eat, and Leland starts yelling at her about her dirty fingernails, which is terrifying so and the way he's just sitting at the table scary. waiting for her to come home yeah oh my god um any questions about her lovers i did like the mrs palmer line like they don't call them lovers in high school yeah. which i thought was very funny um but like try like you can see the part that she plays in that she kind of knows what's going on too i think I think she knows Leland is abusing her in some way, shape, or form. Maybe not the extent of it. Uh-huh. And is, like, her way of trying to help, because she's probably afraid of him, too. Sure. Is, uh, they don't call him that. Like, trying to, like, rein it in, but, like, isn't actually doing anything to stop she, it. Well, she's, like, trying to dampen the fire. Right, right. So to speak. Um, but it's a great, the, the, just the three-way dynamic so is... 
Yeah. Yes. Incredible in this scene. So scary. And just, the fear is just fucking palpable. Mm-hmm. Um. Later, when she's about to go to bed, Laura hangs the painting that she got from Mrs. Chalfont. Um, she dreams about Cooper entering the Black Lodge and the little man telling. I love this dream sequence. Telling this is Cooper that he is the moments. arm, and he sounds like a whooping sound. This is yeah one of my favorite moments of all of Twin Peaks. I I don't know when does the dream end. What does she? She wakes up with the the ring and then doesn't have the ring and then Annie is there. Oh God! All of it is just so. And this is the first time. So we've always called him the man from another place. Yeah, and that's what he's credited as in this movie too, even. But he describes himself as the arm, yeah. and then we kind of see his evolution in the next series, yeah. or the next season rather. Um, I and you get at the end of the series, he says, "When you see me again, it won't be me." Yeah, um, I just—I don't know why I'm kind of obsessed with the fact that that Michael Anderson is that his name? Yeah, Michael J. Anderson. Michael J. Yeah. Anderson. He is such an iconic character in this show. And just him in the red suit and the mm-hmm. chevron and the drapes and He's the, the one backwards who, who talking. He brought the whole backwards talk. Oh, I thought he just happened to be good at it. He, it's, well, it was something because he happened to be good at it. That's why they wrote it in for everybody. He's, so he then taught everybody on set how to oh. do it. He, when, when, when they would get scripts of, dialogue or whatever this is the line you have to say backwards mm-hmm. he would teach you how to do it phonetically so that it sounds right for when it's reversed or whatever yeah. and now they it's funny there's behind the scenes footage from season three when they have to do that and they just say it and then like into their iphones or whatever uh-huh. and then just play it backwards and are like listening to the to phonetic phonet- which is how i would do yeah, it exactly which but it's just funny that like we, we all Imagine just have these devices without, now. Yeah, without the and digital. And so he would teach everybody how to do it well so that yeah. he well, he just learns the alphabet and like knows how to, you know. Because uh, it's not even the alphabet. It's phonetic whoa, sounds. It's, whoa is ooh. Yeah. Like you have to say, the, you know, yeah. those things. Which I think I played it for you when I was editing, but I did the wow, bob, wow. The wow, bob, yeah. wow. And I just reversed what sounds I great. said in it. I yeah. mean, it sounds fucking terrifying. But that's but, the idea. Right. Um. Um, but yeah, so he's definitely an iconic yeah. character. So the arm, sure. oh, we did this already. So um, the arm shows Cooper the ring that Teresa Banks had. And Cooper tells, there's more in there. And Cooper tells Laura that not to take the ring. And this is all both the arm and Cooper look directly in the camera for this. Mm. The, the when the arm right. puts the ring up yeah. to the camera, he's looking directly at the camera. I did that pose a lot yeah. at Twin Peaks. <laughs> and then and then Cooper does the same thing, and he turns directly to camera, looks uh-huh. down the barrel of the lens, and says, "Don't take the ring, Laura." Mm-hmm. Um, which I like. But which I'll, because this is what is she's she seeing in her it? dream, okay. and so they're talking directly to Laura. Sure, he's offering her the ring. He says this earlier with this ring ivy wed. Mm-hmm. This is a formica table, green as its color, because that makes perfect sense to everything, right? <laughs> yeah, no, that's the only thing I would say in all Twin Peaks that's like, mm, yeah, everyone gets that, yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> um, the <laughs> uh, Laura wakes up in bed to find Annie Blackburn in bed next to her, like bloodied and horrible, 
And this, the, I remember the first time I saw it, that scared the motherfucking shit out of yeah. me. Yeah. Because that's, again, speaking of, like, my personal fears is, I think we have a similar fear of, like, you roll over and you don't somebody like else is there. Rolling over, yeah. I, there's a thing, too, that I noticed that I meant to go back and look at and I forgot is there's a little, like, bunny rabbit stuffed bunny on her bed, on Laura's bed. Okay. Through several scenes in the movie. And it's wearing this, like, little flower print vest. And I think it might be the same material pattern as the dress Annie's wearing, which is the same dress Catherine was wearing. Yeah. Or I'm sorry, Catherine, uh, Caroline. So oh, when they when they were flopping places, the, the dress like that Caroline gets killed in that white floral. Print? No, it's like it's like blue and black and very floral, and like they're both wearing that same dress. That's what Annie's wearing again in this scene. Um. So this this is both Annie and Caroline, presumably. But yeah. I think the bunny rabbit is also wearing a vest of the same pattern. Oh, that's interesting. And I don't know if that is accurate or means anything. But mm-hmm. if not, it's just a very similar floral pattern. Oh, yeah. It's like a black floral. I remembered it being a white floral. I'm just looking at a gif of it. Because it's so fucking scary. Also, I'm not going to get too into this, but... The dress that Laura Palmer wears to bed is prettier than my wedding dress was. <laughs> like, I do not understand. It's like, a it's like this gorgeous, like, low back, low front, like, really, like, a, uh, not sheaf, but sheaf? Sheen? I mean, no, 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 no. It's a, a style of dress. Oh. I don't know. Anyway, it's just very beautiful and very yeah. elegant. And, like, you throw on a pair of heels, like, you can fucking go to the. <laughs> Oscar isn't that. Um, so Laura wakes up, finds Annie Blackburn next to her in bed, covered in blood. Um, Annie tells Laura that the good Dale is trapped in the Black Lodge, that he can't leave, and that she should write it in her diary. Laura sees the ring in her hand. Laura awakens in the morning. The ring is gone. Meanwhile, Bobby, Leo, and Jacques discuss drug scores. Um, so here's what is confused. <sighs> So Annie talks about, here's another question. I'm sorry, I'm trying to gather my thoughts in a way that is coherent. So we talked about time being fluid mm-hmm. or whatever. So when Annie wake, when Annie's body, when Laura dreams that Annie is in her bed and she says what she says about Dale, I assume she's discussing what we saw in the last mm-hmm. episode of season two. Mm-hmm. So she is not only appearing as a corpse, but is bringing news from a year in the uh, a few months in the future. Right. Okay. Um, and that's where I'm not misunderstanding. I, that. That's how I get So we talk about time being whatever in this. I think specifically the waiting room, the red room, whatever you want to call it, Time is absolutely nebulous. Mm-hmm. So, like the fact that Truman is sitting outside the gateway to this place, for it's, 10 like, hours. it's been ten hours, yeah. and it seems like a matter of moments mm-hmm. for Cooper. Um, the the initial dream, Laura's in there and sees an old Dale Cooper. Yes, like all of those things, I think are just. I forgot about. Old I think Dale it's Cooper. all of time happening at the same time. Sure. You okay. know? So, like, 
Like, once you enter the dream space, you sort of leave what we know is linear time. Yeah, nothing is linear, which is why it's moving forward and backwards at the same time. Like, audio is forward and backwards at the same time. Like, all of it is just nothing. There's no such thing as linear time in that space. Sure. So so when she's in this dream space and sees Annie, Mm -hmm. it's because she's in that dream space. And time doesn't mean anything. So yes, Annie's able to tell her that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Annie knows what time. Sorry. I don't think Annie knows what time she's coming to warn her or whatever. Okay. You know what I mean? Like. Sure. But it's not the real world. And when she sees Annie in her bed, that's not her bed. That's her bed in the dream. She's dreaming of her own okay. bedroom. Yeah, that makes sense. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. it's she's in this space where time doesn't mean anything. Sure. All right, that makes sense. Um, <laughs> I mean, does I mean, it? <laughs> yes, perfect sense. Uh, Laura gets ready to go to the roadhouse when Donna tells. Laura gets ready to go to the roadhouse when Donna tells her of her wish to accompany her, but Laura says she's not invited. Boy, oh boy, they need copy editors on this. So Laura's going to the Red House. Donna wants to come. Donna's not invited. Laura's about to enter the bar. She runs into the log lady. That's all I have to say about the log lady in this. Do you have any thoughts? I mean, it's... I don't really remember what she says. It's something... It's a longer version of... Uh, there's a fire in you, and once that fire starts, you can't put it out. Yes. And I think it's a moment... Like, this is the moment... And I think it's a direct catalyst of her, of Laura realizing her, this could be her father. And, and I, the, uh, because, oh, uh-huh. because I, this entity, like, this is like Nancy at the end of Nightmare on Elm Street realizing I can pull things out of my dream uh-huh. and therefore I might be able to kill Freddy Krueger. Sure. This is her realizing there's re, I, I can put reality to this entity that's been terrifying me mm-hmm. and like absolutely terrorizing me. I can put reality to that. I can beat it by dying and, and like destroying myself so that I'm not wanted anymore. She understands that like even though a lot of this exists in not her plane, right. her body, her physical self is Because I think there's a fear because this is an entity, I don't understand how it gets here, where it comes from, mm-hmm. what it is. If I kill myself, maybe he'll just terrorize me forever. Sure. And I don't want that either. Now that she knows it's personified, by letting myself die Mm -hmm. or destroying myself, maybe not quite letting myself die yet. I don't know if she's quite there. But I think by destroying myself, I'll become undesirable. Mm. And I think this is where she starts letting herself go. So it's not even to destroy Bob, it is to escape from Bob. Exactly. Okay. Um, but but I think the log lady is privy to this to some extent and says, basically, you know, there's a fire. Once this fire, like, if this is where you're going, if mm-hmm. you're letting yourself do this, it's going to be over for you. Mm-hmm. And this... You're, this is the beginning of the end for you. This right. Is where you go. Are you sure? Yeah. And... The fact that she turns around and walks right through the... Like, walking through those doors is the moment where it's over for mm-hmm. Laura Palmer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the log lady was like a gatekeeper for that. Sure. 
inside the bar, Jacques Renault uh, introduces Laura to two men, Buck and Tommy. It just like you say, Renault, like like Andy. Renault, Renault. <laughs> I'm not very smart, so you just have to deal with that. You're just not French. That's all. Get to the job, Jacques Renault. That's how Andy says it. I like it. As the group is, the thing is, there's some names that you say with a French accent, and there's some you don't, and I just don't know which are which, so I just try to sort of Americanize everything like a real goober. As the group is about to leave for the power and the glory, so this is Laura, Buck, and Tommy. Buck and Tommy are what, in their 30s, you'd say? Maybe. I, I mean, the actors probably, but I would... Yeah, probably right around there. Okay. Or late 20s, but... Yeah. yeah. Um, so the group is about to leave for a place called The Power and the Glory, which I did not realize is the name of that establishment. I don't know if I ever did either. I they always just I always just hear of it referred to as The Pink Room. The Power and the Glory is just a lot for a name of um i don't know if it's a strip club or a brothel or a bar it's, or just like somebody's house it's in this this fictitious canada that's like lawless canada yeah that's the wild like amsterdam. west <laughs> it's like the red light district yeah, of amsterdam exactly. but it's in like <laughs> it's in vancouver like Alberta. <laughs> <laughs> um the- Sorry, I was just remember when I lived in Montana, there was two I worked at a really fancy rich guy's basically mansion in the kitchen. And they brought in for Fourth of July or for his birthday or something like that, an Elvis impersonator and a mm. Patsy Klein impersonator. But they're both from Alberta. So they're like, Oh hey, I'm here to sing uh walking after a minute. I go walking. <laughs> like really good, but he's like, Hey, I'm Elvis. Uh, uh I'm just so happy to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me down. Oh. Blue suede shoes. That wasn't anything. That was when Mitt Romney and his wife Anne complimented mm. my dancing, which is the most interesting thing that's ever happened to me. Yeah, that's not good. No, it's not great. <laughs> Mitt Romney. Maybe was, don't hang your hat on that one. Yeah, Mitt Romney <laughs> is really nice, but also I wasn't a an employee of his, so it's easy to say that he didn't tip me. Um, Donna shows up, wants to come too, impressed by her audition kiss, they let her. Within the power and the glory, fuck that name, Laura discusses Teresa Banks' murder with Ron at Pulaski and then receives oral sex with Buck, which is a lot of heavy lifting that that sentence practically And did. they really just jumped to that. Uh-huh. Like, they, there's the whole scene where they pass around the bottle that's drugged. Like, oh, they pass around that bottle? Yeah. I thought they were like trying to sneak it to the girls. I think like, they're just trying to create this way. confusion. Sure. And like, what a, do you think? Do you think it was roofies? Do you think it was like Molly? Like, what are they drugging them with? Generic drugs, I sure. think. Sure. Actually, yeah, that's almost certainly it. I, yeah. What's the one that makes you dance a lot and also a little bit sleepy, but also <laughs> pretty fucking horny? Yeah. <laughs> I, it's the, it's just the generic lose all inhibitions drug. Sure. Yeah. yeah, I like that. Because <laughs> there's also a, a white powder, which that's the oh in the thing. I it's think. like a little vial, so it's not like Man, a pill or here's something. Here's the thing, though: is every movie or whatever when they roofie somebody, it's always in a tiny little glass vial. I've never seen a tiny little glass vial like that in my entire fucking life. Where do they get those, do you think? Mm. Like a little, like the size of my thumb, with a little, <laughs> like a cork thing to pop off it like they got it in like the 18th century and it's like what 
Romeo takes to kill himself? Yeah, he takes poison to kill himself. She takes poison to pretend that she's dead, and then she stabs herself. So yes, I was correct. It's like Romeo's suicide pill. Yeah. Am I interesting? Yeah. Are we gonna cut this or? <laughs> no, we're <Yes>. not. Yes. <laughs> no, we're not. Then yes. <laughs> Oh, boy. Okay. Um, oh, also the part. So Laura's in the booth uh, with Ron at Pulaski. Did you notice um, the way Laura sniffs? Yes. Okay. I wasn't sure. That was the first time I'd noticed it. It's the way she's like pointing down, snaps. It snaps. It's the same thing she does in the finale with the, the yeah. snap. Yeah. Which is like a fucking dope looking snap. Yeah. Just like her. It's like her hand is limp mm-hmm. and then. I'm doing it for Mikey, and he's looking at it as if, oh. <laughs> as if he's never seen yeah. somebody snap before. In fa- when, in fact, I have seen it because I just watched it. <laughs> but, but I'm yeah. going to explain it if I'm not doing it, But it's, she's got she's got such long fingers, She does too, have very that, elegant like, hands, doesn't yeah. she? I wonder if she's a pianist. Look, can you look that up while I... No. Okay, well, now I'm going to have to, and I have to read yeah, the summary. Yeah, we can summary. look that up later. So anyway, she snaps at Buck. He immediately goes down on her. And she's immediately enjoying it, which I was into. <laughs> like, <laughs> she's just made me like, oh, finally. Like, not yeah. even a warm-up period. And so this, all of this stuff, this, the pink room stuff, which I've never heard it called. What is it? The pain and the glory? Power and the glory. Power and the glory. glory. I've, never, I've glory. never heard of that. I've never noticed that. Of I don't love. that. But I've always heard of it as the pink lodge, or the pink room, is what I've always heard. It's important. And it's a big moment of her, the beginning of her downfall. And mm-hmm. it's the start of getting Donna involved in all this and all this stuff. It's a, it's an important sequence. That said, it's incredibly long. Very gratuitous. Yeah. I think, I think it kind of has to be. Like, I think because we, we knew Laura, like we like Laura and she's been so whatever that it's like, she's not only... Like, it has to be so, like, duplicitous. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, she, she, this is a different fucking Laura. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, it's gotta be. Laura's fucking broken. Yeah. And we gotta see that. So I, like, it is and it's not. I think, I think the gratuitousness comes just simply from the duration of it. That makes sense. I think this whole sequence is so fucking long. Mm -hmm. And nested within... uh, And there's other scenes that could be longer. Yeah, well, and just this scene nested within a reasonably long movie starts to feel like a... It feels... I understand... Like, I'm not like an anti-nudity or whatever person. Mm -hmm. I understand why you needed to express the sexuality that was happening there that is beyond the Laura and the the Donna that we knew. Like, that all makes Mm -hmm. sense to me to see their, like, fall from grace, so to speak. Um, But, yeah, I wasn't... They reveled in it a little more than I wish they had. Also, it made me uncomfortable the fact that, like... What? What? Go ahead. The fact that she, like, snaps at the guy and he goes down on her is something that to me is such a different 
a different level of things because at the beginning they seem very because like she literally says so you want to so you want to fuck the homecoming queen mm-hmm. or sleep with the homecoming queen I think she said fuck though um, and so that is our understanding of okay there is going to be money exchanged for them having sex with her mm-hmm. and then it moves on to this more right. party atmosphere which feels more like she is like partying with friends and like right. consenting to that's, this whole shit. That's what when, I don't get. Yeah, it's so I'm it's not, sh- not even like the the go like the stuff that's when it when it gets dark where they the scene at the booth, the Donna getting yeah. in, you know naked and and having that whole scene. That I think is more important than the whole circled around with Jacques. Like Jacques yeah. is facilitating something, but I didn't it's Jacques but role. it's clear that we're showing. Well, he's. Jacques is the one who called her there. Right, but he acts. But he calls her to the roadhouse and then says, like, these are my two gentlemen right. friends. And then they all fuck off to Canada together. And, but, like, but, yeah, but then they're just, yeah, the fact that there's still, like, a seduction happening. Yeah. Which doesn't seem right because it's clear that she was hired for sex work. Right, but I think I'm disagreeing with myself now because you hear a lot from from sex workers that, like, yeah it's a sex to some extent but it's also like company company and seduction and all that so I guess that makes sense why like she is she's playing his date and that and that very well might be and I think people do want that if we gave a shit about Buck and what is it Tommy Tommy then then okay but we don't care about their arc yeah they're just my meaningless dudes. Mm-hmm. If we were worried about them having their company and all that stuff, then show all that. But because this is from Laura and Ronette and yeah, and I, Donna's point of view, we don't care about them being company. I actually, especially think, when they kicked off the scene with "So you want to fuck, fuck the, the homecoming, homecoming queen. queen?" Yeah, I do think that this scene would be much better if it escalated as opposed to just like it starts at 95 and it gets to 100 but it starts like we're gonna stand in a a circle and do coke and take drugs and then we're gonna like take off our shirts and dance and do whatever as opposed to like oh we're sitting at a table and we're you know the girls are enjoying quote unquote enjoying their company and then it escalates to okay then we're fucking I would say honestly it would be even more effective if it was just if it was Jacques points over to Laura the way you see and they mm-hmm. walk over and hey whatever and then boom cuts to their snapping and they're, they're in this room and then just mm, jump jump cut to like holy shit how did we get really here not necessarily important that it's in Canada because right. while they are doing illegal things they are doing illegal things that are illegal in Canada as well, right. <laughs> as well. it's not right. like you cr- it's not like Tijuana where right. you like cross the border and it's like <laughs> no rules anymore and it's not like it has to be Canada because of one-eyed jacks or whatever sure it's like ostensibly like they could say let's go to my friend's place out sure. in the middle of woods sure. he has a U-bomber cabin I, they do coke and I think this U-bomber whole cabin. sequence could have been a jump cut to yeah. show them being like oh what's happening here is she being paid for is this where we see that she's yeah i, I think gotten I just, into a life of sex work and then bam we see the extent of how deep it gets i think that could have been a, a really effective job i cut. think so too i would like to i know we're going so fucking long already but i really want to posit this idea that so we know laura's into some shit right 
but we see her you can't come to Donna you can't come with me I'm doing this alone mm-hmm. this isn't for you she gets to where she's going she sits down at a table with these two men Donna ends up joining her however that happens and it just starts with them like having dinner and bullshitting and hanging out and you think oh like and we we established this is you know she's an escort I like the idea of going from like, oh, we're just like hanging out with these guys who happen to be paying us, but like, oh, we're just having a good mm-hmm. time. They just want some companionship, and then it escalates to, I'm gonna drug you and fuck you on a pool table or whatever. What's What's troubling too is Donna's there from the get go, and she's there in the little circle party, and then Donna's like, or Laura's like surprised. That Laura, that Donna's there the later. The continuity was off. Yeah, it's it it just darts around, and maybe that's just trying to show you the state of mind that they're in, the altered like drug state. But it's just, yeah, it's it's like, and it's the the way Laura reacts to it. I think is great. Is that like, I, I like. I think like there's there's the build is to me is that Laura is trying to sh- like she's doing all this stuff with these dudes not just because they paid her or whatever but to show Donna you can't handle this you're not up for this shit sure this isn't you mm-hmm. you look look at all the shit I'm willing to do for right. these fucking guys you're just because you're not, you're not fucking there and then when Donna does go there oh fuck she realizes like. I thought I was throwing my life away and I just brought this fucking person with me. Mm. And I think that's an important journey to show. Sure. But it's still just, I don't know. There's something, the scene just doesn't flow right for mm. me. And I don't know how I would do it differently. Maybe a jump cut doesn't work, but it's all just odd. Sure. I think it's a little, all all of it is off-putting. Yeah. Okay, so after this whole scene with, with uh, Ronette and... Um, Buck going down on her. Laura then sees Donna mm-hmm. topless, like very obviously out of her mind with drugs. Um, she's making out with one of the men. She's topless. She reacts and tries to take her home. Um, the next morning, Laura tells Donna she doesn't want Donna to become like her. Um, Leland arrives. And you can see the difference then. Like, Laura looks fine. Mm-hmm. And, and Donna's, Donna's a, really disheveled. She, yeah. didn't, she does not know what the fuck happened last Yeah, night. yeah. She's... Which leads me to believe that the drugs were closer to the roofie world Mm -hmm. than anything else. No, yeah, that makes sense. Um, Leland arrives and takes Laura home. On the way home, Mike shouts madly at Leland and Laura, shouting at Leland that thread will be torn and showing Laura Teresa's ring. So this is when they're... So this is a scene. They're on the street in his convertible, and they're driving home. They're behind a truck. Mm Mm-hmm. And then somebody very impatiently like goes around. I think they're at a railroad crossing. No, it's a it's a, a crosswalk, but there's someone with like a walker. That's right. Walking that's really right. Slowly. You're right. You're right. Yeah. And this person and like and it's like a Ute. I don't know it's, how else to describe it. A Ute. It's a. They're like the. It's a pickup truck that has the. Like it's okay. a little cabin built into. So in the yeah. UK or not in the UK in Australia. A ute is that exact thing, but it's like car size, mm. and that's just what because it, it didn't look as big. This as is like basically a truck. it's a thing you put on top of a pickup. Right, truck. right, but yeah. I'm saying like this was pickup truck pickup truck size. <laughs> this doesn't matter. I know. I just want to explain <laughs> you what a ute is because they're fucking the dope. Two what 
<laughs> the the um, so anyway, Mike. And this is all right outside another number six electrical pole. Okay, so Mike pulls a Yui, so comes up on the opposite side of the road, starts yelling like at Wheeland do. like cops do, like nightmare to people to talk to each other. <laughs> they spend a lot of time chit chatting in the Meyer parking mm-hmm. lot. What are they talking about? Do you think? Just text on your cell phone, boys. Um. Anyway, I don't know what the fuck is going on. It's there. just, it's just really an anxious scene. Mm. There's t- like honking and revving. And it's very it's loud and in the electricity. You can, yeah. And he's screaming, and everyone's like, Laura's like freaking out. Yeah. And so Mike is yelling at Leland, Leland. about you. You can't have all the corn. You give give me like all this shit, which is Garmambosia, which sure. is fuel for Black yeah. Lodge entity. So he's yelling at Bob, um, and at the end he says, "I want the the Garmambosia you owe me, essentially to Leland slash." Did you say the word Garmambosia? Yeah, oh. and and then they put in parentheses pain and sorrow. That's how you learn what Garmambosia oh. is. Fuck. Um, so he's basically trying to get that from him then, but doesn't until the very end when you see Leland like floating in the red room or whatever. Sure. Um, but he's just screaming at him and it's all just really chaotic. It's so anxiety. And I think it's a, what's interesting is I don't know that initially it seems like it's, it seems like Bob leaves during that encounter. Like Bob Leland was, has no idea what's going on. And Leland is just kind of panicking. Uh-huh. And then Bob maybe comes back. Sure. Or something. I don't know. It just seems... It's just all really, really fucking like... It's a major anxiety trigger. Oh, through, totally, yeah. totally, totally, totally. Uh, Leland pulls in a gas station uh, to gather his wits. And then he recalls his affair with Teresa and her murder at his hands. Later that same night... Which is, which is a moment to me of why I think Bob kind of leaves mm-hmm. and this is Leland realizing this is Leland doing this shit mm-hmm. yeah uh, the next night Laura and Bobby do coke <laughs> every time they say coke in this com, they say take cocaine and I don't know why I think that's extremely funny like you you do coke or you snort coke you don't t- I don't take my I my daily cocaine my cocaine <laughs> my cocaine um, Jacques sends a wait the next night, Laura and Bobby take cocaine in the woods, and Jacques sends a drug messenger. Deer Meadows Sheriff's de- Deer Meadows Sheriff's deputy, Cliff Howard. Isn't Cliff Howard Ron Howard's brother? Clint. Yeah. Um, this. So this whole scene. I just really like how fucking big that bag of cocaine was. It made me extremely yeah. happy. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like a. It's the size of like a pillow, like yeah. a pillow that you sleep on, and they're like, oh shit. I, yeah. <laughs> but he did say whatever, like 10K for that coke. It's a huge so, score. Yeah. yeah. Like this is supposed to be. Why does she have 10K? Who has $10,000? I mean, but that's the We don't have $10,000 right now. That's the start of the series. They, they had to have that because, remember Bobby owed Leo 10K and I can't get to it because it's in Laura's safe deposit box. Yes. They needed to set that up. Okay. That makes sense. Um, The problem is I don't. I don't like the idea that Bobby kills a person. It does I, not seem to jive with... Is, it neither seems to jive with his character as we know because him. Because he nor, doesn't... 
you'd be carrying that with you. Right. Well, and especially when we look back to the pilot episode, how he is like a weird Whatever, 50s greaser. Yeah. Is not somebody holding... Like, if the cops show up and a week ago you shot a guy in the exactly. woods, you're losing exactly. your fucking mind. Especially if you're and, Bobby, who is, and is a it, kid. So is the Deer Meadows... Is he undercover? Is he going there to try to bust him no, for this? No, I assume... Is he just... Why does he pull the gun? Is he just going to, like, kill these kids and take their money? Oh, no. I just assume that it's a dirty police department and the guy is also coked up and as soon as like a thing happens he pulls out his gun but he he just does nothing happens he just pulls the gun immediately yeah that's why i think he's on coke and like they moved okay. to weird and he's like guess what i'm gonna shoot you i just yeah maybe I, cops are just bloodthirsty monsters don't like this scene the, it's, it's incongruous with uh, yeah we know. especially for bobby the only reason I can enjoy this scene, like in its own right, is that I think Laura is amazing That's at so this good. drugged out, coked up. The laughing, girl. the hysterical oh laughing so after he good. kills her is incredible. Even before, incredible. but like all of it before that, and she's like, "Bobby, I found a pine cone," and he's just like, "Shut the fuck up, be serious. This is a huge." And she'd be like, "And I found some dirt." <laughs> this like. It, all of it is so honest. Sans Coke, it did feel like when we both get drunk and I'm having a blast and you're like, Jessica, we need to leave this place right now. And I'm like, or hear me out. Yeah. Look at this dope bar. Yeah, exactly. I've never left but, somewhere by it. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> but it's, Coke, I can't be clear now that we don't do Coke. <laughs> it's, but this, yeah, but the, the scene... The scene itself, I think, is great. I think it's well done. I think mm-hmm. whatever. I think it just doesn't match. It doesn't draw I think in. they could have gotten around it without Bobby fucking killing a guy. I agree. And. I think it would, honestly, I, mm, I was going to say, would it be more compelling if Laura had shot him? It would explain more. It would explain. Like, the fact that Bobby doesn't give a sh- like. You're right. Like he's he, when they first interview him in that pilot episode. Yeah, exactly. That he's surprised by fucking everything. Yeah. If he, if three days ago he murdered a man in the woods, he'd be losing. Even his- if it is self defense, like it was, but he was in the middle of a drug deal. Yeah. So is it what? I don't know how that he's plays. not going to the cops. I'll tell you that right. Fucking now. But he's surprised by all of it, and it just ruins that narrative. Yeah, I. I agree with you on both on both both thoughts that the scene is extremely good. Mm-hmm. Also, and it's all lit by just that giant fucking flashlight. Oh yeah, we were talking about how it's more or less out of focus the whole time. There, and not, there's just the one scene, but I think shot of she she just creeps a little forward, and so she drops focus a little bit. Oh, like it was a fixed lens. Mm-hmm. Um, and she moves a little bit forward, but I think the scene it was so good. Well, and that it, it was like it's the payoff is do we keep this take well, even though it's slightly out of focus also I thought it was intentional sure and we watched it on like an embarrassingly big TV sure. and not on I mean a, this was a theatrical release it's not like it this wasn't but even shot for so TV. like would it be that sharp in in theaters or uh, more so oh more so or trash TV I guess <laughs> I'm so embarrassed that we bragged <laughs> victim tv can we talk about how in 2020 a main complaint i have is that my tv is really slow and i hate being that person of like technology is everywhere and like my slow what are you talking about just when in the basement downstairs when you hit like the smart 
TV like menu oh, because and it takes it 45 minutes it, to pop up yeah. and I'm sitting here like I'm honestly finding... we could I could we could fix that if I wanted to run a hard line to it for internet the problem is that it's just trying to reconnect Wi-Fi oh is that what it is yes yeah. I feel like it's new anyway it doesn't matter the point is 2020 is weird year that you're compl- you complain that your the technology in your TV is lacking oh right, boy boy but what we I think what we jumped past though was a was a a little bit to get to this scene was a really big moment of it's impossible to jump past anything it's been almost no, two hours yeah but the the scene in the car after the big argument whatever yep this is the first time I think Laura takes ownership of what's happening to herself where she was like did you come home and she's like starting to actually that find that was in an earlier scene wasn't it What's that? Wasn't that an earlier scene when she asked when she grills Leyland about where he was? It was in the car. It's at the end of the car scene when they're in the Oh, I thought that was body. earlier. But she's like asking him and he's like, "No, I didn't come home." And oh, and then that like the so the blatantly obvious lie of like, "You know what? I did." It's so I good. I remember I I had a headache now that now, now that, that you, you mention it. it Leland like it's it's such is... a good bad lie. Ugh, I yeah. love Rayla. But that whole scene where she's so legitimately good. actually looking for the truth now is is a huge step forward, I think, for her and sure. her character. And I didn't want to gloss over that because I think that's a really, really big moment mm-hmm. in the arc of her character. The next morning, James worries about Laura taking too many drugs. Um, that night, Bob comes through the window, through Laura's window, and begins raping her. And that's when she realizes that Bob is Leland. And right before that is when we see Sarah Palmer get drugged. He gives her like that glass of milk and she takes a swig of it and starts to put it down. And he does the little like tip of the bottom of the glass like, no, 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 you have to finish it. And she has this look on her face like, Like, I know what's happening. resignation. Yeah. And it's here we go again. And then she kind of falls asleep and then sees the the white horse horse in the... Like, yeah, the horse that's back. a great fucking moment of, fuck, I don't want her to be, but Sarah's a little bit complicit too. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. In, but in, in a way that, like, I don't blame her. Well, well. Because she's afraid too. Domestic ab- uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very injured, like, I read and listen to a lot of true crime, and there is a very fine line between victim and enabler. Yeah. There's there's a famous story of a little girl who her this is in I think the seventies in New York she's adopted and her parents her dad specifically would beat the shit out of her also beat the wife and at one point he beat the daughter so hard I'll have to look up what story this is he beat the daughter so badly that she was bleeding to death she eventually died so he the dad beats up the daughter leaves the house. The mom sits in the house for like eight hours with this girl who's bleeding to death. And so there is a very, it was a very real question regarding like, is the mom complicit? Because she was worried that she was going to get murdered by her husband. Yeah. Or, and afraid he'll come home and right. kill her for calling also, the police or whatever. Yeah, that girl would have survived if she had yeah. acted quicker. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I think that and is always, and I think that's why I, I find true crime and stories like this so interesting is like, very few people are both completely innocent and completely guilty. Yeah. And almost always the answer lies somewhere in the middle. Sure. And like, 
yeah, Sarah was a... The thick cup of coffee, like we talked about last week. Yeah. But, you know? And yeah, like, Sarah was a victim. Clearly, like, she was afraid mm-hmm. for the consequences if she didn't drink these drugs and whether or not she knew what happened when she was drugged mm-hmm. out. Is she... Yeah. Is she complicit? I don't... And I don't know the right answer to that. And I don't know that there is one. Right. I But that's what I... That's, I think, the thing that I learned about this movie that made me switch from like my 14 year old viewing of it whatever mm-hmm. where it was like I don't know what the fuck was that I didn't like it it was weird I is this feels like one of the few incredibly honest and real tackles of abuse in film that's, I, I think this gets the nuances so right that that's why I think so many people revere this is that it, it's it does it and it kind of buries it behind this wall of ooh interesting mystery and this weird story and all this stuff but really at the heart of it is absolute just gut-wrenching horror yeah i was thinking about this when we were talking earlier about how much i like the metaphor of bob as leland and it i'm curious about i'm curious about the mask part you mean the mask part and when she sees when she's Ask being yeah. when she well she, when she's being raped she sees a different human being yeah because that's her her brain trying to deal with it or, or whatever um, or it's magic who knows um, and I just th- like I kind of want to see a movie although I like I think they did in Haunting of Hill House pretty well I want to see a movie that's just a little more straight ahead of. Like, there's this weird supernatural shit, but it's all rooted in a kid trying to fix their reality to, like, reduce the amount of trauma. So, like, this a, a terrifying clown attacks them. We find out at the end of the movie it's their dad or it's their mom. Yeah. Like, I, 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 I think it would be such a good story to tell without the context of being in Twin Peaks. I just think that would be an interesting... And I'm sure it's been like, told like before. Like a, a horror movie, but the reveal is that... It's like, yeah... It's like Firewalk With Me as yeah. a horror movie, except for our main character is whether she's a high schooler, whether she's a kid, is seeing these, you know, the mom is seeing the horses and whatever, and we realize that they're all very literal. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I think they do it. I think they do it successfully throughout Twin Peaks and in Firewalk With Me, but I think layman can't watch it and appreciate it without like really fucking drilling down into what's going on. Mm. Anyway, I just think that would be an interesting. I'm sure they exist somewhere. I, I, I'm very give us sure. Some, give us some, uh, you know, hit us up, email, Twitter, whatever. If you know of a similar story, yeah. But I think that, like, I it, it came up the other day too. And I was really interested in watching again. Is Radio Flyer? I brought it up. Yeah, I don't know what. Well, it came up because getting... we we're talking about young Elijah Wood and whatever. Um, but it's a it's a movie about because a step- I got Radio Flyer Flyer and Radio mixed up. No, well, that was after Radio Flyer came up, I and I said, "Have you ever seen Radio Flyer?" And you asked if it was the Cuba Gooding movie. 
But Radio Flyer like, it was is a movie about like kids who are getting abused by their stepdad and they try to build an airplane out of their Radio Flyer wagon to fly away. Okay. And it's... I have not seen it in years and I'd really, really like to watch it again. But like just one of those like... It's the same thing. It's the way Bob is a mask for Leland. It's these kids getting interested in flight as a mask to fly away and get away to a better place. And it's this, it's them building a mask. It's the stories of them building a mask rather than this mask already exists. And it's, I just remember, remember it being one of the first movies that I legitimately was like, Oh God, what the fuck is happening? Like so sad. Like, but I'd like, yeah, I'd like to watch that again. Anyway, that doesn't sound like a thing my emotions would be really good at. But I remember it being also a very good movie, so we'll okay. see. <laughs> Let's move on. Um, upset over the realization that her father is actually Bob and strung out on cocaine, Laura is unable to concentrate at school. Later, um, which is also a good bit. Mm-hmm. She takes cocaine before she goes to bed every night, which is a wild thing. Well, because do. she doesn't want to go to sleep. But she takes coke and then gets into bed. Why doesn't she take coke? Because and, like, her parents are expecting her to be in bed. Yeah. Like she, if she stays awake, Bob won't come in and get her. She's alert. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's mm-hmm. if if I have my wits about me or whatever. I don't know. Um, Which is a thing I always thought was interesting that the Nightmare on Elm Street movies never had kids getting into coke. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah, they all take I like caffeine think that pills. The ratings and, or I know, but at this like some by some of the later ones, like you gotta have a kid on coke, man. Fuck it, I'm gonna just do blow all the time to try to not fall asleep. Yeah. Like, well, but instead they figure out they can bring pillows to and from the dream world. So like you know, they tried something different. <laughs> um. Later, Laura refuses sex with Bobby, and he finally realizes that Laura was using him to get the cocaine. And then the angel in Laura's painting disappears, which I'm glad they had this on here because I did not... I was very confused why we were looking so deeply at a... Well, you see it slowly dissolve away. No, 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 I know, but, like, it... Yes. Um... But she also... And, like, this, this is a little bit of a callback to that scene, that overhead shot scene... With Donna and Laura in Donna's living room, where she asked her about like, oh, if you were falling in space, would do you think you'd slow down eventually or faster go faster and, and faster. faster? And Laura says something about, I think you'd go faster and faster, and then you'd burst into fire, and, no, and nothing would happen. You'd burn, and then no, no one could help you because your angels are gone. Do you think that if you were falling in space, that you would slow down after a while or go faster and faster? Faster and faster. And for a long time you wouldn't feel anything. And then you'd burst into fire. Forever. And the angels wouldn't help you.
Because they've all gone away. <laughs> and it's... So scary. It's... This is that moment where she's... This is... Like, this is what Log Lady was warning about. If you continue down this, she's your angels her, are gone. Right. You don't have... And it's... Yeah. Um, by the way, that story I was trying to think of, uh, it was Joel Steinberg who killed his six-year-old daughter, Elizabeth Lisa, uh, in 1987. So that's what I was trying to think of. It's a real thing. Cool. And just link it. I, I will link it. I'm going to leave that tab open. I just literally G-chatted my friends who are really into true crime, hmm. and they got it like quicker than I'm comfortable <laughs> getting it. Um, so James and Laura go into the woods. They start to make out, but she tells James, quote, his Laura is gone. Screaming that she loves him, Laura runs away from James into the woods. What about this James? That's my favorite. <laughs> she flips him off. It's so good. <laughs> Laura meets Rana, Jacques, and Leo. Um, and she's really darting. Like, she's discombobulated. She's so she just screams at something that she seems like she sees, but nothing is there. Yeah. And then she's talking, and then she's... Fuck you, James. Da, 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 da. But then also like, oh my God, James, I love you. Mm-hmm. Oh, she's so like, fucking strung it's, out. Yeah. Laura it's runs into Ronette, time. Jacques, and Leo. They hold an orgy in Jacques' cabin um, as Leland watches from outside. I mean, I don't know if I'd call it an orgy, but... No, I think orgy is pretty generous. And I, I think orgies think that require that they're all kind of interacting with each other. Say, this is I, just two couples having sex. Yeah, I feel like an orgy requires consent from all parties. And this is... That yeah. too, Yeah. Um, Leland attacks Jacques outside. Leo flees in panic. Leland takes Laura and Ronette, both bound. Oh, I'm sorry. I skipped. Uh, Jacques wants to have heart sex and ties Laura up. Uh, Leland takes Laura and Ronette, both bound to the train car. And we have seen this train car before. Uh, meanwhile, Mike realizes that Bob slash Leland is about to kill again and chases after him. I really liked these interstitial cuts of him like running through the woods they were after the fact really yeah the the it drops right all in. of all of the rings that when you see the ring going on the hand and stuff that was all shot later and it's not Cheryl Lee. interesting yeah very interesting um like they they i think didn't know exactly how this was gonna end this i think movie yeah i think a lot of this was still being kind of created on the fly to some extent so wild um and so a little bit of that closure like happens later which it also makes the idea of the ring really ambiguous because mm-hmm. the ring is warned against and warned against and it's coming from this red room black lodge-esque world it's from the arm who seems to be an evil entity sure. all of this you think the arm is evil i just think he's not as helpful as the giant and he like seems he's... to be like the opposite of the giant to an extent. Yeah, no, to use a D and D term, I think he's chaotic neutral. Like he neither helps nor hurts anybody, but just sort of fucks around. But it, it, you also, he is the so Mike cuts off his arm the the mm-hmm. be, be cut, to separate himself from Bob, right? And I think that's what makes Mike not an evil entity anymore but the evilness is still in the arm which is the man from another place yeah, yeah that makes sense I think I think he lops just, off his arm and that arm evolved into yeah, the little man and so I right. think he's evil at least he's he's not 
he's not good. clearly helping you and he's offering you a ring, I'm skeptical. To sit at the bare minimum, be skeptical of that. Yeah. And then when Cooper, who is genuinely good, says specifically, don't take the ring, Laura. Yeah. And all of that stuff. But then when she puts it on, it seems to save her. <sighs> okay. So. So Bob yeah. and Leland take a mirror and say and says he will kill Laura if she won't let him inside her. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the mirror bit. It's like on the ground. Ugh. And she's like over the top of which is oh. why you get that really low angle. Yes, 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 yeah. yes. Um Mike tries to get in the train car and when Leland sees Renette trying to get in excuse me, trying to let him in, he knocks her unconscious, knocks Renette unconscious and kicks her out of the train car, which is how and we know Renette be- Before that though, you before Mike Ronette is saying a prayer and looks up and she has her angel there. Oh yeah. Which is what and her arms are tied behind her back at the time and then she pulls them off and they're split. So seemingly oh, the angel is together. what split her rope so that she was able to work her way over to the door mm-hmm. where Mike where she falls out on Mike and Mike yeah. throws in the ring. Um yeah, Mike drops tr- excuse me. Mike drops Teresa's ring as he flees from the scene. Uh, Laura wears the ring, preventing Bob from going inside her. (sighs) Angered that he can't enter her anymore, which is a lot of a sentence, uh, he brutally stabs her to death. Uh, Then we see Laura wrapped in plastic as we first see her um, as Bob and Leland dumps her body into the lake. Her corpse drifts away. Bob Leland enters the Black Lodge where he encounters Mike and the arm who is seated at Mike's left side. Um, they tell Bob they want their Garmonbosia, which is pain and sorrow, we learn. Um, Bob returns it in the form of blood. Will Hayward unwraps Laura's corpse. Oh, uh, who's Will Hayward? That's Doc Hayward. It's, it's Doc Hayward? It's his hand. It's, oh. it's the shot from the pilot oh, okay. where he pulls her. I was like, he's not in this, but I guess that's yeah. technically his hand because they reused the same shot. Laura's spirit later sits in the red room and notices Agent Cooper at her side, who has a comforting hand on her shoulder. Suddenly an angel appears, and she begins to cry and then laugh. Yeah. I think the biggest mystery of this movie that I still don't think I have an opinion on is the ring. I don't either. The, if you read Secret History of Twin Peaks, the ring is an evil entity. Like, this is where you get, they reference it at Haps, that, um, at the diner, that uh, Teresa Banks, her arm was limp for her left arm was limp for a little while. Oh, yeah. The ring is always worn on the left hand. When, when Laura gets the ring in the dream, her she wakes up and she's like holding her arm because it's limp. Oh, I didn't notice the that. The same thing you'll see in season three. Um with a limp arm in that ring like the the arm goes limp because of that ring is that what is it what is the like i feel like the arm and a character being called the arm who seems to be the lopped off arm of mike Mm -hmm. is all you know and then the arm goes numb when you put on this ring it see is it like is it a way, is it like a key to this Black Lodge type space without having to go through that Glastonbury Grove circle of trees? Mm-hmm. 
Like, is this like a like a warp zone? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea what the ra- like. But everyone, but everyone who wears it seems to die. But isn't it Ronette's ring and she survives? Not Ronette. It was Teresa Banks. Teresa Banks. Okay. Well. But I don't know. I mean, that's a thing and I've seen theories on, but I still feel like it's so ambiguous that I don't know. I don't, I don't know what to make of the ring. I think I think the movie is an excellent exploration of trauma. I mm-hmm. think as soon as you're able to separate it from the existing two seasons mm-hmm. prior, I think it elevates the work. I think yeah, it becomes a much better project once you go in not expecting the Twin Peaks that we had. Yeah, it somehow both works better on its own and cannot work alone at all. It's Godfather 2. You know, it's sure. it's Empire Strikes Back. Sure. It's better than the original, but you need all that mythology yeah, in that order for it to be good. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. I don't so do you I mean, do you have any closing or wrap up thoughts or whatever? It's you seem to be just done. You tend to do that where you're just like, Okay, I'm done now, I gotta go. Yeah, I'm mentally really tired from it. I mean, yeah. Um, it's an exhausting movie. No, it's it's, it's but like exhausting. it's incredibly engaging. But at the end of it, like I, it's tiring. It's it's a it's a tough watch if you watch it right. <laughs> yeah, you know? and it's you know it's an unambiguously sad ending and tragic because even though we knew that Laura was going to end this movie dead, it's still hard yeah, but to I think, watch it happen in slow motion. Oh. See, because I think all of that is horrible, but I think, I think the end of this movie is overwhelmingly positive. I think all of this is that we all knew, we all knew the tragic instance of her life on Earth comes to an end, but Laura wins. Laura gets her angel. Laura gets saved. Laura's non-physical being existence survives happy that smile on her face at the very very end i think is absolutely positive i so fundamentally disagree with you really yeah i I didn't even think that was up for debate no i see it very much as a woman whose entire existence has been dictated by the way men treat her yeah and she and at the end of it she frees herself from that she lets herself die but that's what I think this in Twin Peaks talks about ending. is that is that your physical being is not like this is about a world and an existence that's beyond life on earth maybe and maybe it's I don't know you're an atheist too so it's not like you like have a strong view of like sure. heaven or whatever but to me like the death of a person particularly a young person like no matter what I I feel like the red room feels a little more like how people are like oh she's smiling down on us from heaven it just feels very naive to call it a happy ending to me and it because this woman has been ruined by the men in her life to the point that she cannot regain her own life without literally like she literally cannot and she chooses to die instead of be 
under the power of these both spiritual and physical men in her life. And, like, obviously I'm always going to give it a feminist rating. But, like, the men in her life fuck her shit up constantly. And she has Donna. But other than that, her mom is also being abused. I I don't deny any of that. I I just, I just think this is this is a this isn't about the physical body of Laura. I think this is about Laura is something more than just a human that existed on Earth at one time. I think Laura is an entity that's that's bigger and it blossomed because of this ordeal. No. I mean, I, I genuinely don't see that. To me, Laura Palmer represents any woman. Like, I don't think Laura Palmer was special. In, in, in so much, like, obviously she was well-liked and she had friends and she had secrets and she was homecoming queen and all that. But I don't think she was an especially special person. I think that Bob or whomever, whatever this entity is, could have picked anybody and maybe wouldn't. maybe they wouldn't be as courageous and as um uh, uh what's the opposite of reactive assertive i guess is that what i'm thinking of proactive, proactive. There <laughs> it is. um I, I don't think many women girls would have been as proactive about trying to escape what's going but like all i see in this is a deeply tragic life cut short with her giving with her being given no opportunity to redeem herself. They fucked this, like they destroyed this woman and every, this girl in every way we know how to destroy a person. And I understand why, oh, she, she smiles at the end. She's in a better place. And there's, like, yeah, people say all the time, she's not in pain anymore, so it's a blessing that she's gone or whatever. But, like... But people on Earth say that. And I think this show isn't about life on Earth. No, but I think that the supernatural aspects of it, in this anyway, the supernatural aspects of it are much more metaphorical than they are literal. And so we're using these... We're using Bob as a placeholder of this isn't my dad, this is some monster who I don't know. Like, I, I see it all as highly metaphorical. So it's hard for me to see <laughs> a two-and-a-half-hour movie where she's she does drugs, is drugged, is raped, has sex with older men. For Like, she is just spinning out of control, is vividly unhappy, and then dies. Okay. I disagree entirely, but okay. So weird that you disagree because I'm right and so smart. I, I, I'm just, I'm listening. Um, the book that Laura's Ghost book uh-huh. is all women telling, talking about how this is such an empower, empowering piece of cinema for women specifically of. Yeah, I don't. It's, that's. I, so I, that's I, why I, I'm I, so surprised I, that you're not on the same page as all these women's stories that I'm reading. I mean, I don't know the movie as well as they do. I haven't done any research. This is just like my gut instinct. I've seen it a couple times. Um, But still, you've seen it a few times. And I mean, that's not saying that like your reading is wrong or my reading is right or vice versa. Sounds like that's... It's just... I 
I'm surprised you don't see it at all. I'm I. No, I understand what you mean. I, I want to be clear. I understand your explanation. I understand the lens you're taking to it. But for me, it's very hard for me to escape it with a reflection of anything besides a young woman was murdered by the people who were supposed to help her and be kindest to mm-hmm. her. And that's incredibly tragic. And I mm-hmm. agree with all of that. I just don't think that's where it ends. Sure. Okay. Any other thoughts? I think, yeah, I just, I think if we didn't get that scene at the end, mm-hmm. that last scene, I, I would agree with you. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that was fun. <laughs> I had fun. No, it was fun. It's just a sad, sad story. Um, okay, so that was that. Missing Pieces is more fun. So, that felt sarcastic. No, it's... Is Missing Pieces cut scenes from this or cut scenes from... Cut scenes from this that were essentially pieced together to make somewhat loose linear sense. But most of the scenes that were cut were either silly mm. or more relate like there's a big ed norma scene and oh, some yeah, things that, like things things that. from the more more closely tied to the original series that just didn't fit in mm-hmm. this storyline interesting um yeah i'm curious to you get a scene with see. diane sort of huh interesting which is interesting yeah interesting interesting all right well so i guess is that what we're watching next yeah okay okay and that's what we're doing all right. But not uh, right now. No, I'm so tired. Okay. Um, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for taking this journey with us. And we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Cooper Duper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people. Hosted by Michael Greif and me, Jessica Blumke Greif. Our podcast logo is by Foraker Creative. You can follow them at Foraker Creative. Our theme music is by Brad Chactus. You can always email us at cooperduperpod at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes and leave us a positive review and tell a friend. We'll see you next week.